Hey everyone, please subscribe to my podcast so I can reach my goal of 1 billion followers. I'm trying to build an app that lands you a date with the most beautiful celebrities, but only when they turn 80. Let's go! That's the thing that killed me, you know, when when it hit, it's just like my whole world just yeah. vanished. Like I just I love the job because I just got to go out and meet people all the time. Same. Yeah. Same. And I did not pick this job because I wanted to sit in my house all day. Right. Although you're you're you write. Like you're you're, yeah. you're you're constantly writing. So how how do you not spend a lot of time by yourself? These days I do. For the for most of my years working, I was the reporter in the Knesset, and uh, right. and I had an office in the Knesset I was working at the Knesset, so I was seeing lots of people all the time, and yeah. I loved it. Now I'm the diplomatic reporter, and it's very interesting, but it is a little harder for me. Like I'm definitely more like extroverted. Like I want to hang out with people. You and are so... definitely an extrovert. Twitter, <laughs> man. So I I try to make meetings. I try to get out of the house. Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously I have to be in the Wait, house tell to me. write. Tell me. I mean, I've, I've been to Knesset obviously like a handful of times, but I never spent my entire you know working day there. It's a yeah. wild place, no? It's, it is. Like, it is. Like, um, just kinda, it's like a little school cafeteria hangout place, no? Well, yes and no. Like, def- there's definitely this sense of like as a reporter, like you would just walk around the hallways, or if you have access to the Knesset cafeteria, which I did back then. I that it's it's oh, they only give it to the political reporters, so like now it's been revoked. <laughs> but you could just walk in there as Knesset members eating lunch, and if you're polite, sometimes they'll let you sit down with them and right. talk to them about what's going on that right, day. And right, so it's right. it's the access is amazing when is you're there, there all is the there, time. But like okay, I just go back to the high school reference for a second. Like, yeah. Is there is there a hierarchy of like cool kids, outsiders, nerds, geeks, jocks, is there like that whole <laughs> No, but there must be Come on. like I wouldn't put it like that, but I, I think like sometimes people will be friends that'll surprise you or they'll people will sit and have lunch together because they want to talk about some issue together and you'll be like, you know, why is Ahmed T P sitting with like a Haredi Knesset member or whatever. Weird. Yeah. But I'm sure that they all, all have the things time. to talk about. And they a lot of them, you know, yeah, have things in common that you don't think about, you know what I mean? Like, there were certain Knesset members who are very interested in finding ways to reduce the number of traffic accidents in Israel, for example, right. you know? And so right. you have someone who's from, like, Israel Beitenu with, you know, back in the day, people from Kadima, you know, even though one's in the coalition, one's in the opposition. Yeah. So, yeah. Or, like... <laughs> They they started doing like a, a few years after I started um, reporting at the Knesset, they started doing open houses on Tu Bishvat because Tu Bishvat is the anniversary of the inauguration of the Knesset, and there were it is? yeah, and there and they still do it to this day. Um, it was like a tradition that they started in I don't know 2014 2015 something okay. like that. Um, there were a few Knesset members who do karate, and so they did a karate exhibition. <laughs> just like hilarious things happened in the Knesset. Wait, so so people in suits were just doing karate in the middle of the Knesset? No, no, they were prepared, so they wore their karate outfits. I know there's a name, but I don't remember what it is. Okay. Um, and they just did like a karate exhibition, like like 
they fa- like it was I think there were more than two, but what I remember is Hamid Amar, who's the Druze Knesset member in Yishal Meteno, and Sahi Anagbe. They were like doing karate to each other. Yo. I had it on video. I think I might have it like on my. I have like three videos on my YouTube channel. I think that's one of them. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And you, what, you, you just like, sort of stumbled onto that when you were there? Or you knew that this was coming? I think it was scheduled. I don't know. It was a while ago. I think it was scheduled. It's just one of these like wild things that happen in the Knesset. Yo. Know? Do you miss it? I do. Yeah. I miss it. First of all, I miss it right now because that's where the center of the action is right now. Right, right. Politically. Right. But I also miss it because I liked having like people who I saw regularly at work, you know, and yeah. now I don't really have that. Right. right. Wait, so how long have you been the diplomatic correspondent? Since December 2019. Oh, wow. It was quite the time to start. Holy shit. Yeah. I started immediately with a trip to Portugal where Netanyahu flew to Portugal um, but then I was at APAC right at the beginning of the pandemic where it was like a super spreader event. You know that whole thing? No. Okay. So it was, it was like, end, Jews, of, right, end of February, beginning of Spread March. COVID. And it was just when COVID came to New York and, yeah. they, and it was, and it was like yeah. Jews. And some <laughs> of them were at APAC then in Washington. Like someone who went to the same shul as the guy who, the first guy who had COVID in New York. Yeah. And so then there was COVID at APAC. Yeah. And but it's huge, you know, and it was like 20,000 people or something. So like, you know, I wasn't sick. But when we came back to Israel, you didn't have to isolate if you came from America. But then two days later, they basically said, if you were at APAC, you have to isolate. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and there wow. were a lot of people. But I, I don't want to like, uh, APAC's going to be really offended if they hear I called it a super spreader event. I was calling it that ironically. But there there was COVID at APAC and it was yeah. March 2020. I don't know, like, it's so funny because in the moment, people probably freak the hell out on all of, you know. Yeah, well, right. now, looking back, it's like... Well, just before we started this, I showed you the picture on my phone because my husband had sent this to me that three years ago today, right, there was a guy in a hazmat suit in my house because I was feeling sick and we thought I might have COVID. Crazy. Yeah. But, and how old were your kids at the time? My daughter was three and my son was, like, nine months. Okay. And of so, course, the baby wasn't so born yet. So the three-year-old yet. probably doesn't remember. Yeah, they don't. I mean, they know what Corona is, but like they just think it's like you're sick, so you have to stay at home. Right. Like right, the right. the lockdowns right. are. I don't think they remember it that much, or if they do, like yeah. it's just not a big deal for them. Like thank how, God, because older kids are so traumatized. How deep did it go into your soul? The whole the whole lockdown. It was just. It was really hard. We were living in Tel Aviv, and we, thank God, we were living in, we were, like, renting in this, like, historic building complex where it was, like, it was near Dizengoff Square. Okay. Um, It actually, they used to house um, theater actors in these buildings, and so they have these plaques by the doors of the names of all these people who were, like, in the original, like, Habima. Um, these are Israeli actors? Or these Israeli are... actors, okay. yeah. I mean, some of them were like Russian before, you know, Habima started. I think it was in Russia. Okay. Somewhere in Eastern Europe, Habima started. Um, but they, basically, it's like four or five buildings that make like a, a semicircle, I guess. Well, okay. or like, I mean, it's more square than a circle. And in the back, there's a yard. And so, and there weren't a lot of kids living there. And so, like, my kids spent, like, most of the lockdown in the backyard. And so oh, we were wow. lucky because, like, who in central Tel Aviv has a backyard? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was amazing. Yeah. But it's, it's like, that, that first lockdown where you couldn't go, like, 100 meters yeah. outside of your house. It was really hard for us not to be able to go to the beach. And there was police. We lived right by the beach, and, and we loved going, like, 
we would choose to take our kids to a playground on the beach over a playground in the park. It yeah. just we loved it, and it was really tough. Do you, do you remember those videos? I remember they would they would like uh, you know broadcast this on Israeli news, like yeah, a police, some poor police asshole running, th- uh, chasing after some guy surfing or whatever. He was yes, all alone. ridiculous. It's like oh my god. I know we look back now and we're like. Come on. But even then, I think you could have known that surfing alone is not a danger to anyone. <laughs> no, I know. But like to, to then but then to then set the police out after some guy who was just surfing by himself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, mean, I, I actually even remember having a, uh, like this was a, an actual topic of discussion publicly of like, should you go out in the water? Right. Is right. it safe to do that? It's like, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, and when they were blocking off all the playgrounds for kids, like, that was what drove me nuts, because I was like, what am I supposed to do with these kids all day long? Right, yeah. And then once they opened the playgrounds, people were, like, wiping them down with wipes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I remember one of the first articles that that came out in that period, and there was a blizzard of news. Yeah. One was that Netanyahu wanted to have, like, an army of young kids bleaching uh, every single playground, or just all, all outdoor spaces or something like that. Like, it was just so... We lived through that shit. You know? I know, I know. It was it was crazy. Not only did we live through it, like we had to document that stuff as well. Yeah, it you was know? dystopian. It was it was we lived in a in a police a police state. It was it was I don't know. For me, it's like whoa. Uh, yeah, it's when you think about it in that way, it is very disturbing. Definitely. But did, did you ever think in your entire life? I mean, okay, what kind of Jew are you? You you you're from I'm the states. Orthodox, but like modern Orthodox. Well, from where in the U.S. I, t- I take it. The New York area. I grew up in New Jersey. Okay, yeah. so you and I. I also grew up in Miami. I, yeah. We, we come from an open society. We live here. It's also completely open. And then to like, to actually feel. As if you're living in a in an authoritarian state, it's it's yeah it's jarring yeah you know and it's you're sort of like well everyone's doing it so it can't be that bad but it it was not good <sighs> but it was soul crushing right like you couldn't you know just just that feeling of like um if you want to go see a friend you're you're a criminal yeah that <laughs> Passover right we couldn't yeah. go see family I mean my family was nervous also we had little kids right. and people thought people the, the craziest thing is people thought like the opposite they thought little kids were vectors when really like little kids are the same right, right, right. Um, oh, it kept going back and forth yeah. Correctly. yeah 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 yeah, so we ended up going to Friends for the Seder, which was sort of against the rules. It was like, you know, you're only allowed to go within a certain amount of meters from your house, right. and they were like maybe 100 meters past where we were able to go, and we were like sneaking to them for the Seder, because yeah. we didn't want to do it alone. Right, right, right. And let's be honest, like, how many people, clearly, like, how many people kept the rules, like, yeah, to the letter of the law? Right, well, so those many. friends who they lived like two blocks away from us, we, we took turns, like, with each other's kids because of that like babysitting yeah like so that we could get work done yeah we would split up the days like they'd spend half the day in one apartment half the day in the other yeah wait so what what does your husband do my husband works in tech he's a customer success manager oh wow so he must have been also like at that point the company was well he had a scary thing because he was switching jobs and then the pandemic happened and they were like they were like hold off for a month so we had a month where we didn't know what was going on we thought he wasn't gonna I, I, we were sure like he just wasn't gonna have a job oh my god but then after that month they took him he's been working there ever since so oh that's good oh yeah wow yeah oh. do you think that um do you think that it makes you stronger do you think it makes you more vulnerable like what what do you think about that period how i mean i think everyone can take it how they take it you know I'm what i mean you. like it's yeah 
It definitely made me realize that I can get a lot of things done even with kids in the house. <laughs> That's, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think that it makes you, for me, it made me, like, reevaluate, like, you things leave? that are important. And um, Did you leave Tel Aviv because of Corona? No. I left Tel Aviv because it's really expensive with kids. <laughs> I mean, it's really expensive, period. But with kids, it became less affordable. But it definitely made it easier and it definitely made me realize I want to be close to my family. Like, now that I live in Modine, like, most of my family lives yeah, here. Yeah, So. What is it about two kids versus three kids that makes you decide, okay, now's the time? Because I, I have three, as you know. Yeah. And we had a COVID baby. My wife uh, got pregnant and gave birth in 2021. Mm-hmm. And I remember just, I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was, maybe it was just before... Um, she gave birth to the third, but we, we went on a trip, we flew out and we were with some friends and my kids were in an apartment. Uh, I had two at the time. Yeah. And this was, this was in Tel Aviv and they wanted to play a game with us or something. We were, we were hanging out with some friends and I said, no, 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 go watch a film, right? Go watch a movie. And then they were like, okay, fine. Yeah. Like what kid doesn't like to watch TV? And, uh, and I was like, oh man, you know, if, if I lived somewhere with a bit more open space or some, you know, some playground or some garden or something like they wouldn't have to automatically just do that. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, this like, that's not what I want for my kids, you know? But that was when I had two kids that I had that moment then. I mean, and I'm still, I'm still. Well, it wasn't, I mean, I didn't move. I, I moved before I was pregnant with the third kid. Um, so it right. was the two kids. Um, we also, we decided we wanted to buy a home. We don't, we don't own this home. We bought a different home. And then once we bought it, um, and it's being built and we had to, in Israel, you have to pay the mortgage before your house is finished being built. So yeah. then we were like paying rent and a mortgage at the same time. That was like the final tipping point, <laughs> but we already bought outside of Tel Aviv. So we already knew we were going to move. In Modine? Yeah. If there's a new neighborhood being built right next to this one. A few okay. people have moved in already. We should be moving in in the next couple of months. Wow. So, so you have three yeah. kids. Okay, you're not working. <laughs> well, you're still writing. I, you know what? Okay, so I'm going back to work after Pesach. But wait, what? How, wait how old is the third? Just about three months. Man, so it'll be four months. I, you know what? Um, I don't wow. know how people do the months without being paid. Right. Like for, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm not like poor, but I don't know how people like work, you know, go for months without being paid in right. Israel. Like, I don't, we're not able in to any do society. that. Yeah. 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 No, I don't know. I guess there are people who, I guess, the husband makes enough money that the wife can take a few months off, but not, not this family. We make the same, roughly. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so weird to, to say, but it, it's such a, that is like a real 1% kind of lifestyle, right? We're, we're yeah. just one parent can work well when i was growing up in the u.s like almost all of the moms i knew didn't work my mom worked my mom was a lawyer like she worked really hard but and i knew a couple moms who worked but like almost everyone either didn't work or they worked like part-time how does that affect you that your mom you said your mom worked really really hard yeah because that's your role model like that's the model that you have in my home yeah right no i mean i i always i never felt like my mom didn't have time for me you know Ah, my dad is here. He's delivering something for me. Does your dad live nearby? Yeah, they live like I don't know, a mile away. That's that's the advantage of living right by yeah. your parents. Is that like yeah. See, my son I... is having a 
bout of indigestion. And he just picked up sensitive stomach formula for me, my dad. So yeah, we don't. um, um, My parents always. Both our parents live abroad, so we don't have that help at all. But I can imagine that's like a. It's 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 like a third parent. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, my, my house is going on Miluim in a few days. Oh, my God. And we're spending the weekends at my parents. Like, it's... Thank God. <laughs> what kind of grandparents are they? They're hands very on. involved. They're yeah. very hands-on. Yeah, oh. it's really great. Oh. Yeah, I'm very so. lucky in that way. But I grew up that way, too, because my, my grandparents on my mom's side, like, were always around we actually lived an hour away from each other but so like in america like i feel like driving an hour to someone is not a big deal where in israel an hour is like huge yeah yeah (laughs) um because we saw my grandparents every weekend even though they lived an hour away driving an hour in israel is you know it's like driving 10 minutes in in the u.s in certain uh, spots because it's just it should take 20 minutes but it takes an hour it's just so much fucking traffic here it's true yeah so that's that hour. It's like 40 minutes of just yeah, sitting yeah, and waiting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so t- but tell me about your mom. So your mom... Yeah, so my parents are both lawyers. Oh, wow. um, which, if we talk about the judicial reform, that has certainly shaped my view in some ways. Yeah. But um, it definitely... And, and I am very like interested. I don't write about this topic, and I always think one day I will, that I am very interested in the like societal expectations of like working moms and things like that, because it is interesting to see the differences between here and America. Um, but my mom worked really hard. I mean, a lawyer is a really tough job, but I did feel like she was always there for me. She always took okay. the time off and, you know, came to all my school plays and, like, you know, made sure to put me to bed every night. Even though, But on the other hand, like... We had a, I had a nanny in the house. Okay. Which I, my kids do not have here. I don't even have like a regular babysitter here. Well, so. are, there, uh, are your parents still working? Yeah. Well, my oh, dad wow. like part time, but my mom works full time. Yeah. Damn. So your mom, your mom can't give it up, huh? <laughs> yeah. Not I that guess. it's a bad thing. But wait, tell me, what, what do you, what, because I think about working moms. I've been wanting to talk to working moms, like a real conversation about this yeah. forever because. I always, like my wife, for example, she had her, she gave birth to our first uh, child and she went back to work and she, she felt like she was just at, she was just torn up inside. She felt she wasn't a good mom. She wasn't a good wife. She wasn't a good friend. She wasn't a good employee because she just, her brain was swimming around all over the place and. It's really hard. And like, so we were saying how, like, I don't love being at home all day and not seeing people. But what I do like about being home is that I can be, yeah, a lot more present for my kids and a lot more of like a, like homemaker. You know what I mean? Like, obviously I do more things at home than my husband because I'm here all day, you know? But then do you feel like you're not as, I'm not saying this, right? Yeah. Do you feel that you're not as as good a reporter as you could possibly be because you're more, spending more time with your kids? I mean, yes and no. Like, I guess if I was, like, obsessive and I was working 12 hours every day or more, then I could do more things. Right. But I think that I just, the the way that I work, it gives me a lot of flexibility. Like, I tell people all the time that, like, journalism, at least the way it works for people who work for the Jerusalem Post, it's, like, very comfortable for me as a mom because it's very flexible, except for the times when it's not flexible at all. Right? Just to say, day to day, like, I'm at home, and I have to make meetings with people, and I can make the meetings at times that are comfortable. But if there's breaking news, or if it's, like, 10 in the morning, and the prime minister says there's a press conference at 6 p.m., 
then I have no flexibility and then I am like scrambling to find someone to take care of my kids. Right, right. Or if I have to travel with the prime minister, then I have like two days to work at the logistics between my husband and my parents. And then if I really need my in-laws, they live in Renano, which is a little farther away. Right. So if, if, uh, if the prime minister flies somewhere, you're going automatically. Like nine out of 10 times. It's kind of a weird question, but do you ever get sick of it? Do you ever get bored? I've not gotten to that point yet, but okay. the person I replaced had been doing the job for 19 years. Right. What's and his Herb, right? Herb Kanan, and yeah. he still writes for the Jerusalem Post, but he doesn't do, like, news reporting anymore. And he had gotten very tired of it. Like, the previous year, he had flown with the Prime Minister nine times. Right. And he said he once he realized it wasn't... I mean, I, I don't want to speak for him, but he said once he realized he wasn't really enjoying it anymore, that was when he realized he shouldn't be doing this job. Good. Yeah. I think that's, that's, yeah, I mean, that's appropriate. Yeah. I, I only did it once. Uh, also, that's the thing. That's why I said, I opened the door to my house. I looked at you. I said, you look familiar. So which trip did you fly on? That must be where I know you from. <laughs> uh, Trump. Uh, okay. With a peace plan. January okay, so 20, I was there. Yeah. January, I, I'm sure you were. January yeah. 2020. <laughs> That was the flight when... 2021, wasn't it? No, it was 2020. You're 2020, right. You're right. Before, it was right before the pandemic. Before, yeah. 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 And actually, I don't know if you remember this, but on that on the flight, was it either to Moscow? Because we went right. to D.C. and then to Moscow so that Bibi could uh, rescue that Israeli backpacker who yeah. smuggled drugs or something into Russia. What a fucking idiot. Na- Naomi? Nama? What was her name? Nama. Yeah, Nama Yisachar. Yeah, God, that was so weird. It was so dumb. The whole country was, like, obsessed with this one poor backpacker who had, like, a little bit of weed on her somehow in Russia. Yeah. Anyway, on the flight, either to D.C. or or to Moscow, was when Kobe Bryant died. Oh, I did not remember that. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I even remember that B.B. tweeted, like, oh, my God. Which is, like... Unfortunate that he died. Very weird. Like, do you think B.B.? knows basketball <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man that, that guy's got a really broad range of interests no that's true that's i heard true. he speaks french for example like, yeah really well. really well i'm not sure because he doesn't speak it in public if, it, if he spoke it really well i think he would speak it in public speak but i think he understands why would he speak it in public why not he, he could give an interview in french to a french newspaper i don't know he doesn't well, do that ever but i think he understands it like i think he like learned it in school or whatever i remember uh the ceo of other uh, other farms. Yeah. He's uh, French, and BB came to tour the office because so they make those three uh, D printed steaks. Yeah. Sorry, the what is it? Uh, cultivated meat. Yeah. Lab grown meat, and uh, so BB came to to their office to try it, and uh, I guess he was there for like an hour or something, and they sat down, and I think DDA even said that they spoke a little bit in French. Mm. I suppose the meeting was yeah. conducted in Hebrew, but yeah. Right. I know I know he speaks French. I don't think he speaks French like at a like right, at a right. level to hold like professional meetings. Yeah, you, you know? don't think he's talking or maybe he's yeah, with Macron for example. They're probably like, speaking English. Yeah. Macron's <laughs> English is great. Yeah. yeah but yeah. maybe like Sarkozy <laughs> Right. Sarkozy who called me a liar. You know that story. I don't. Oh, there was like a hot mic moment and him and Obama oh. were talking and they called BB a liar. Right. And Obama said, uh, lucky like, for you, I don't have to deal with you. you don't right. Have you don't have to deal with them as much as I do. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's our prime minister. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So at that time it was like, 
sure he's a liar, but he's our liar. He's lying for us. Oh. Now I think very few. I mean, obviously he won the election, so a lot of people feel that way. But I think that at the time, even people who didn't vote for BB were mad. And now I feel like if you didn't vote for BB, then you hate BB. That's the thing. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about who I want in that seat because yeah, you know, that person has to deal with the likes of Putin and MBS. You know, like ruthless people. We're not not in a really friendly neighborhood, right? Yeah. I mean, no major world leader is, is has to be naive, you know. But they have to be tough and ruthless and um, and and be able to deal with these kinds of people. And so there's a lot of head games and trickery and stuff. So is it a bad thing if he's a liar? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think all politicians are liars to some extent. Mm. And some of them are some of them are, are really lies, like they're intentional lies. And some of them are just they they make promises or they're signing checks that they can't cash. You know, yeah. which are different kinds of lies. So wait, how do you? To me, a lie is a lie. So how do you how do you differentiate? I, I'm not saying one's good, one's bad. But yeah, to, yeah. to me, like uh, politicians have a lot of intentions and things that they want to do, and yeah. then you know reality comes. And so you know people who will be like, well, you promised this in the campaign and you didn't do it. Like obviously, you have to. I think you have to look at the whole list of things they promised, you know, and see right. what kind of effort they made and what they achieved, and right. not look at each individual thing and be like oh you lied because you didn't do this and i think a lot of times people do that Mm. because like you a campaign i think is a statement of intentions but you can't always do what you intend Mm. that's what i mean okay so you 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 cut politicians some slack in terms of what they promise or what they intend to do yeah it's not like it's completely up to them right right and and even bb i mean right he he is not actually a, a dictator Right, right, right. As much as you know, people like to accuse him of being one. Yeah, it's it's more. It's it's it certainly doesn't seem like he's really pulling the strings on this whole judicial reform. No, it doesn't. It, it's like when the attorney general said that he's not allowed to be involved. I was like, well, that's fake. Like he's right. going to be involved behind the scenes. Right. But now I almost wonder if he's using it as a, or if he had been using it as a bit of an excuse so that like other people can do it. What do you mean? Um, because it's like. BB's favorite things are not like domestic politics, right? He likes to focus on security issues. He likes to focus on international relations. And so he was like, okay, I can't deal with this. Great. I don't want to deal with it yet. Yeah, let, let your Levine deal with it. But now it's become such a issue just for cohesion of the country that like he has to be involved, yeah. but like legally he can't be involved. So it's like the, now it's like a mess for him. I think in the beginning it was convenient for him. It's also what's, what's so weird. Uh, this whole judicial reform thing is, is bizarre on many levels, but like one is that people outside the country really care about this. You know, like Biden is making statements about, you know, not just Biden, but like yeah. Larry Summers. Like that. It's just people. Well, it's weird and it's not weird because I think like the the protesters right are comparing it to like Poland and Hungary. Yeah. And it's not that like I care so much about Poland and Hungary, no offense to any Polish or Hungarian people, but but definitely there was a lot of attention given to it. And then there's a lot of attention given to Israel in general. So so like those two things are compounded. Why, why why is there attention to Israel in general? No, no, no. Yeah, well that that's You know, that's no, a big that, philosophical question. Let's yeah. I mean, oh, why do you think? I have my my little Many reasons. But... Tell me your theory. I'm interested. Okay, so one is, um, okay, so 
we're we are these characters that appear in the books of billions of people right right yeah that has spread through all around the world right and so it's it's kind of curious like oh like those people from our from our book yeah what are they up to this little crazy little mini tribe over there like what so there's interest right and and it's relevant to some central core of their culture right right um which is weird right if you think about it as a jew that anyone would care about me even even for like a microsecond right some yeah. some person in europe that really has no interest at all in this country or what happens like it it, it affects them not one bit right mm-hmm. but yet they still care to read about what's going on here it's it's so bizarre yeah, like, and it's weird because the world has become, the Western world has become more and more secular, but they're still obsessed with Israel. They're still obsessed with the Holy Land. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why? Okay, so so tell me your theory then. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, just that even though the world's become more and more secular, secular the Christian Christianity is just like so at the core of the culture yeah. to the extent that like, I think... Be you notice it more as an outsider in a way. Like I feel like for me, like growing up, like right as a minority in the United States, yeah. like you you realize how much Christianity permeates like a lot of things. Whereas to like a, a secular, like a wasp type person in the U.S., like they don't even think about Christmas as a religious holiday. They're right. like it's just Christmas, and so, I'm like, no, actually, that's a different religion. <laughs> wait, that I'm not part of. What? You said that Christianity is very is, is is deeply steeped in the Western culture, but I actually don't see that. Like, if you think about uh, uh, living in Israel, for example, yeah, even in even in a place as so called secular as Tel Aviv, Friday night comes and the streets empty. Oh yeah, no, you know? like I mean whole... religion is much more deeply like embedded in the Israeli culture. The than God the West. question is everywhere. Here. Correct. Yeah, that that's true. But I still think that, like, there's something deep in the culture. Like you were saying that, that you know, ah, okay. the, the root is here. Yeah. And, and even people who don't think about it that way, it's, ju- it's just part of the culture. You know? And it's one of the things that's remained is that the, the fascination with this place. Like, there right. are enough religious people, and even people who are not religious, that realize that it's important to people in the world. Well, in America, it's, it's, uh, it, is, I, yeah. it, is, it is explicitly religious because you do have the evangelicals who really care about yeah. what's going on here right for but not only because you look on on no, the left ha- right and yeah. you're like why is why are the palestinians like the cause celeb of the the left are they to a lot of them they are to the like far left the socialists like red rose twitter type left they are, are they really i think so yeah. i i think that it, they could be even more so right yeah. there are other things that come first uh, but Right, exactly. The other but there's first. definitely a disproportionate like, attention paid to that, them. I think. But now it's 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 morphed into other stuff, right? It's um, like if, it, if you're just talking about the far yeah. left, it's, it's what we were talking about before. What but I don't know, like foreign, foreign ah. things, right? Like if if people mm-hmm. on the, I don't know, like why does AOC talk about the Palestinians like pretty often? Yeah. And doesn't talk about like I don't know anybody else in Myanmar. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't right. follow that stuff so so closely. Just because I, I, you know, I, I think there was this clip of her on this show. I can't remember what it was. This um, blonde lady with, with like some 
some sort of legacy last name in the U.S., like Eisenhower or some Hoover. Or something. Hoover, Margaret Hoover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She okay. went on there. She's and, very uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's very good, and um, and she was asking AOC all these questions, and she just clearly didn't know what the hell she was talking about. Right. So like, okay. Right, and so like, but like, Palestinians are like weirdly like a buzzword. Like, there was also a thing that the Democratic Socialists of America in New York, like they sent out like a questionnaire to candidates or. I don't remember the exact details of what it was, but, like, one of the things they said is, like, would you visit Israel? Okay. And, like, if you would visit Israel, then, like, you're a baddie. Just a visit? It's something like that, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you have, like, Richie Torres, right? Yeah. Who is a... He's the gay black dude, right? A gay Afro-Latino. Okay, dude. Whoa, Like, wow. he's, you know, like, he yeah. should be, and he's very progressive in his politics and most mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's pro-Israel. He right. realizes that Israel is like a diverse society where gay people can live freely and, and he's pro-Israel. And so yeah. like, even though he has a lot in common with like the quote-unquote squad in other areas, like they, he's not a member. Really? Just, so he just gets disqualified? <laughs> yeah, I think on. it's also because he's um, like a coalition builder, you know, like he's someone who's more willing to compromise in order to make incremental progress, whereas most of the squad is like pretty radical in that oh, way. Okay. So it's like, even though they have the same end goal, like he's more willing to play ball with the the liberals as opposed to the democratic socialists. Right, right. Okay, so you yeah. said something that, that is interesting also in the context of this judicial reform is that Israel is a diverse and open society. And I think one of the things that has struck me is this whole judicial reform thing is it really uh, clearly hit a nerve, right? Yeah. And I think the nerve is, I don't know if it's the central uh, tension of this country, but it's a central tension, which is the Jewish and the democracy yeah. thing. What are we? Are we Jewish? Are we democratic? Can can we co? Can those two things coexist? And it's it, to me, it's like there's, it's just it's just playing out like the people who. Uh, clearly identify themselves as secular first and then maybe Jewish or Jewish second are so frightened of the ones who I think yeah identify themselves as Jewish first and then democratic and both sides have painted in their minds in their imaginations a sort of boogeyman that one cannot coexist with the other and I don't know I, I... the thing is with that question so first of all like that question like, the person who, I think, put his finger on it first, or at least first in a prominent way, was Norman Finkelstein, who was a, a mm. political advisor, right? He were, he was American pollster who Netanyahu hired in the 90s, and he was the one who found that people who defined themselves as Jewish before Israeli were more likely to support Netanyahu than people right. who defined themselves as Israeli before Jewish. Right. Which is also interesting, because Netanyahu is not, like, a particularly religious person. But that's how it's come out, and that's how it's continued to be. Yeah. So it's not it's not new, but I think one of the things that's interesting is also that that's become the the biggest question of our politics right now. Sure. Whereas it used to be right, right and left was defined by the Palestinians, like how you saw the Palestinian issue. Right. And it's been years now since the right and left have been able to do anything different. I mean, you look at I don't know two thousand nine to twenty twenty one, and then you look at that year that Bennett and Lapid were in charge, and then you look at now, like what. Did Ben and Lippy do something different? I mean, maybe not Bennett, because he and BB, their politics are actually pretty similar, but right. like, did Lapid do something different? Right. Is he really calling for something different? Sure, he wants a two-state solution down the line. But it's almost like that question is, like everyone has the same answer to that question right now, and yes. so now suddenly we have to look inward. But, but I, I, 
this is why I think that this the Jewish and the democratic tension is the, or, or I lean towards thinking that it's the central tension of this country because yeah. it does supersede this, the Palestinian issue because if this was purely a democratic country, right, not based on any ethnic, tribal yeah. uh, lines, then the Palestinian issue it becomes so much more solvable. Right. You have a one-state solution. Yeah. Who cares? For, exactly. Yeah. Just make this another U.S. but in the Middle East, right? But if once if that tension never gets resolved, you 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 can still progress with a two-state solution, but it's it it just it becomes obviously much harder. Right? Yeah. Um, and this is of course not to speak of all the tension and contradictions on the Palestinian side, right? Which are you know more than give us more than enough trouble as is, right? Yeah. And. You know, so going back to what you wrote for an unheard, right? That, that the yeah. politicians are are needlessly polarizing the society. It's sort of it, it's. I agree with you, and then there's also a part of me that's like, well, I don't know. We have we have this underlying tension that it's true. If you if you put a gun to someone's head and says, "Are you a Democrat or are you a Jew?" and if and if you have two people and they answer different things... When people have a gun to their head, they're much more likely to say they're a Jew. You think so? I do. I do. I think... Really? Well, because I think people are more likely to have the gun to their head when they're a Jew. <sighs> Man. Okay. Let's go, no, let's go down that rabbit hole. Because I like to think... Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm delusional, but I it's like It's like that there's no atheists in a foxhole theory, you know? I, I just think that, like, if you're in a life-threatening situation, then people, or you're in a, a situation where you need to think about what, like, your life is about, then I think people are more likely to come down to that. But I don't know. Maybe it's because but, that's so, okay, the this, surroundings this, on. This might be a, a question of our backgrounds and our, and our beliefs, yeah. but, so, I'm Jewish, and I'm you know how how I define that it's not really relevant but like I'm I'm Jewish to my core yeah and I'm really you know I love my tradition right how I observe it it's you know it doesn't really matter to me but it's like I observe something of it and I want to pass it down to my kids and I think it's important that this country exists and I'm really grateful for it but if you said to me gun to my head what do you choose democracy or or your niche tradition and it is a niche tradition when you think about you know the 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 spectrum of what's out there and across the world, right? We're point zero one percent of the population. But like, if, how, if how, like, how how could we possibly say that the Jews got it right? Like, clearly we didn't. Otherwise, Jews got what right? You know, everything like yeah, the well, origin of no the universe, the laws right. of the universe, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but to me, it's like if like if I just wanted to live in a democracy, then why would I move to Israel? New Jersey right. is America's democracy. Yeah, no, for sure. The, the reason I'm here is because I'm Jewish, because I feel like this is the future of the Jewish people. Now, I would like this country to be a democracy, right? Yeah. I think that the issues now have like confronted a lot of us with the question of, well, if Israel wasn't a democracy, would you still live here? And and that's a tough question. Yeah. Right. I'm yeah. not. I'm not sure what the answer would be because because right. if Israel's not a democracy, well, then what is it? Right. We right. don't know. And, and I don't think that we're in danger of not being a democracy, which I can explain if you're interested. No, but, I am, I am, I am. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of it is, is, is the way the politics work in Israel, but, like, first of all, like, I don't think that the proposed judicial reform makes Israel not a democracy. It makes Israel a democracy with less of a check on 
on power, and I would like there to be a check on the power of the politicians, on the check on the power of the majority. But I also think that the judicial's power is unchecked at the moment, and that's a sure. problem. Yeah. Judiciary, I mean. Yeah. Um, but second of all, I never thought that the plan that Levine stood up and presented in January was going to be the final result. Right. And I was never really worried that that was going to be the final result because right. it was very clear to me that they were doing what anybody does in a negotiation where you make maximalist demands so that when you have to step down from those demands, the final is, is what you actually wanted as sure. opposed to, you know. That, that line of thinking, though, and I, I agree with you, but that line of thinking, though, then, as you say, right, they started a negotiation out with, you know, over-the-top demands about how to fix the judiciary, the judicial yeah. system. But that draws that kind of response to then bring the negotiation position a bit more to the center, right? Right, Which and that's not what mass, happened in the end. massive protests and stuff like that. I mean, that, that is putting a lot of pressure. And then, you know, people chiming in from all over the world. Like, we are really Right, concerned. like, I, I think that they miscalculated badly. You think so? But I don't think <laughs> that they ever intended for the entire reform to pass as represented. I mean, and like, I, I will you, say, like, like how, there... How do you know? Look, I don't know because I'm on maternity leave and I'm not really talking to these people, okay. but Amit Saigal says the same thing and I trust that he's talking to everyone. Right, that's so, true. Yeah. So I had that thought as a theory and then when I heard him say it as with confidence, I said, right. well, I guess my theory was right. Right, right. But, um, okay, so I, I did actually want to get back to the, the tension to between the, the Judaism and democracy because, okay, so let's say this becomes just a purely Jewish state. You know, there's still, uh, I suppose what's what's frightening is like Judaism. You and I both are consider ourselves and our families Jewish. Yeah. And our adherence to the tradition is different by definition, right? Everyone does their own thing. Yeah. So there's a very, it's a very elastic term, like what it means to be a Jew. But obviously there, there are very, there, there's, there are these core similarities that we all, most of us anyway, tend to tend to follow. But the question is, like, when does that, if that starts getting codified and then enforced, right? No, That's I would scary. not. Yeah, I wouldn't want that to happen. I absolutely right? wouldn't. Because even me, like, I, I say I'm Orthodox, I'm Monorthodox. But I can, I'm very liberal within the Orthodox spectrum, right? And what I, does that there mean? are plenty of people who would look at me and be like, oh, she's not Orthodox. Look, I'm sitting here, I'm wearing pants, and I don't cover my hair. Let's start with that. Okay. Um, but I also go to synagogues where women lead parts of the prayer, which is not the mainstream orthodoxy. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it does. And we still sit separately, and the women don't lead every part of the prayer, but there are sort of, I guess, loopholes, you could say, that rabbis have found that have allowed that. And I grew up in a family that was sort of mixed between orthodox and conservative. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, I was allowed as, as a kid to, you know, chant certain things from the bima, and I was used to that. And I think that's nice. Like, I think that in a regular orthodox synagogue, girls, and then they grow up to be women, are made to feel that they're, they don't have a full part in what's going on yeah and i think it's a great tradition and that i want to be part of what's going on yeah and so in tel aviv there was a synagogue like that and in modin there's a few and so i tried to you know live near those synagogues so i could walk to them on a saturday you 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 moved based on the synagogue i mean no but i like in modin there's a few so it there wouldn't the be com- a problem but like i definitely part of the conversation is you know like, in Modin, there's no, like, Haredi population. Or there's the Haredi population is very small, and it actually happens to be in this neighborhood. Okay. But, like, um, 
you know, I, I would want to live in a place where I would have that option. Got it. Okay. It's also like why one of several reasons why living in a small issue wouldn't work for me because you don't usually have a lot of options. There's usually one or two synagogues. Right. Okay. But that's actually what's so cool about at least the, the Judaism that manifests itself in this country is that you have so much variety. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And of course, right? Like, what's the joke? You know, two Jews and three synagogues? Like right. It, it's, it's, it is sort of democratic in its way. It's like, all right, you do your thing. We're going to do it slightly different. And then there's just all these different permutations going on here. And everyone seems to be getting along fine, which is, to your point, yeah. in your piece, it's like we are being presented an image of ourselves that is, to me, fucking bullshit. Like, I... I yeah. You and I don't agree on everything. We're, we can talk to each other. I have no intention of you know, imposing my will on you and neither you on me. And it's Look, like, I just spoke at a conference for Stand With Us and then once I was already being flown out to America, I spoke at a synagogue and, and there were people who kept being like, well, what is life like in Israel right now? And I was like, the same, but with more traffic jams. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't want to underplay it because this is like a... a very very contentious time in israeli politics but it's also not like anarchy in the streets it's well, anarchy in like a specific intersection of tel aviv i i, I don't know because again it, imagine every weekend there's hundreds of thousands of people leaving their homes yeah. to go shout in the street with strangers okay let, like let's actually understand what a protest and a demonstration is this is not normal behavior so, and this is the kind of behavior that you do when you think your way of life is coming to an end. Were you here in 2005? No. Okay, so I had just moved here in 2005. Okay. And again, being Orthodox, um, most of the friends I was making in the environment I was in were people who opposed the Gaza disengagement. Yep. And I, I was a teenager at the time, but I was going as a teenager with my fellow teenagers to protest against the disengagement like that whole summer. You were in Gaza? No, I wasn't in Gaza because I was not brave enough to do that, but I knew people who were. <laughs> but okay. no, but I was at the Kotel. We had like mass prayers at the Kotel and people holding hands, making a human chain across the country. And, and I was constantly protesting. Oh my God. And, and I see a lot of like what we were experiencing then and what people are experiencing now. It's just a different group in society. I mean, what, there might be a tiny bit of overlap. What, but what was that? It, people felt that the contract that they, the implicit contract with the state that they had made was being broken and it was traumatic for them. And what I, and I, I wrote this, uh, I wrote it on Twitter. And what I said is that despite the, it was really deep trauma. And by the way, the protesters were treated a lot worse then than they are now. Like, and I'm not saying that the protesters should be treated worse today because that's like the answer a lot of people give. But like back then people, you had thousands of people who were arrested and a lot of them were minors. And now Miners is a lot of, I mean, I knew a lot of teenage girls who were arrested because they were, you know, bunkering down, hunkering down in houses in Gaza and things like that. And they were, it was administrative detention, right? Mm -hmm. Like they sat for weeks in, in some cell without seeing a, a judge. Yeah. And usually none of them saw a judge at all. They were just sent home after a few weeks. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like this was a really deep trauma where people felt that the state was not keeping you know, its contract with them and but after it happened the vast majority of those people looked and said okay we need to figure out how this happened how we became people who the state thought that it would be okay to do that to and we need to try to integrate more 
and and the religious Zionists and and the settlers more broadly like or more narrowly really tried to become part of the people more you know and talk to people who are not like them and that was their solution now in this case we have the protests and i think these are people who think there is a danger of the contract being broken and then they they threaten to to leave to not serve is, in the army but the pyramid is inverted here because these are the these are the elites essentially. right right, right. the high-tech people who want to move the money out i mean these, these right are, these are people with a lot of a lot of uh that with a lot of stake right well know? so what i'm saying to though what i'm saying is that they need to try to find a way to live with us like yeah. if you give up then you're then you're giving up then you're yeah. leaving destruction in your wake and right. instead like uh, you know the people who are protesting but say they want to compromise and have some sort of construction proposal like that that's great and then you have certain people who and i get their press statements every day on my phone who are like we're never going to compromise you know as long as the right is in power basically who, who are these people you know there's like there's like these professional activists and some of them were involved. No, they are though. Like I know it sounds crazy. It does. Like I don't want to be like a conspiracy Honey. theorist, but like literally, like I get their messages on my phone every day. Honey, I'm going to work. Right. Don't but the, like, there's this woman who ran the gas protests, you know, ten years ago against the natural gas plant, and people who were in charge of the protests outside Mandel Blitz house when he was attorney general, and then those people came together in front of Bibi's house, you know, and and it's a lot of the same people okay. who are organizing the protests now and i like i personally know people who have nothing to do with these professional activists and they're worried about judicial reform right, right? but it's like these professional activists have found a cause that resonated more broadly than their previous causes and so they're just they're taking advantage of the people who really care oh. and so i think that there's two things going on right now okay. you know what i mean like i think that there is this like professional activist class that they're never going to stop weekly protests until they're sure that Netanyahu is out of office that's why there were no weekly protests when bennett and lapid were in charge um or there were much smaller ones from very different people um, and then there are the people who actually want something to happen, you right. know, they just don't want it to be an extreme thing. So when you look at polls and I think the majority of the country right now is a, I think rightly concerned that this stuff is yeah. going too far and, and namely it's the override call for, at least for me, you know, uh, th this idea that the Knesset can just have this crazy ability to yeah. denude uh, the, the, the high court from any kind of check on its own powers is crazy to me. But you, you think that that's people are just being scared out of their minds or are actually legit, legitimately concerned? I think there are legitimate concerns. Yeah. I think that the like level of panic and hysteria is like being fomented by people who have an interest in fomenting it, which is to say the professional activists and then also um, politicians who are like riding this wave. You know, like, Lapid in the beginning wasn't part of the protests, but I think once he realized it was, like, an advantageous to him, right. he became part of it. I think he's even on record as, as being um, pro-reform of, of, of the team. Yeah, he right. is, and so is Gantz. They just want a more moderate reform, which is fine. And also, like, the poll questions, like, a lot has to do with how the questions are asked, right? Because I think that if you ask people, are you for some kind of reform, but not your Levine's plan, yeah. then the numbers would be different. It's the mm. same when you ask people if they're for a two-state solution. It's like there are wildly different results depending on how the question is asked. What do you mean? Well, like if you ask people, like, are you for evacuating all the settlements? 
Uh, you okay. know what I mean? Or if are you for evacuating most of the settlements? Right. Or are you for dividing Jerusalem? And the Palestinians are not going to agree to any solution that doesn't involve evacuating between most and all settlements. And, right, right. You know? It's funny, yeah. The two-state solution is like also a very broad term. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean anything really. Like it, obviously, it means something, but it's 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 this box that's pretty hollow, right? Like there's not. Yeah, right. I mean, the Trump plan was a two-state solution, and most of the people who go around all day calling for two states hated that plan. So. Because <laughs> it was him. Right. Right. <laughs> he, right. He ran that thing by himself. How do you think this ends? Uh, this, I think. You're, you sound very optimistic. Look, the, right now the coalition, there there were reports that the coalition is going to just like pass a more moderate version on its own because like they can't get in a room with the opposition, like it's not working. <laughs> and so that might be how it ends, but I don't know. What? what? I really, like, what I really think like Lapid keeps saying like they need to stop the the process in order to talk. And the coalition keeps saying, like, no, if we do that, they're going to keep drawing it out forever, and then we're just never going to do anything. Right. So I feel like the coalition just needs to say, we will stop for a limited amount of time. Right? We will stop for a week. We will stop for two weeks. That is the time. And then we're going to continue based on whatever we worked out in that time, which is the middle ground between the two. Because right now they won't even get into a room because of these, you know. It's so... For, I don't understand this at all. So, the opposition, Lapid, Gantz, all these guys—they—they they don't want to negotiate, even though the coalition is just like steaming ahead with the with the stuff that they're being. Right, like, but then the other thing what? is on the coalition side is like I don't think it's such a big deal. I think they they could stop. They could say we're going to take a week or two off. But their argument, which also makes sense, is like there is a process a legislative process going on in which the opposition has a voice sure. like come to the committee be constructive and we'll work it out in committee like any other you know even important laws are supposed to be worked out in the committee they're yeah. not supposed to be worked out in a room behind closed doors right so uh, both sides have a point and so that's why i'm just like just meet in the middle already <laughs> i don't know i i, I... It's just, like, the fact that they're not even negotiating about the plan itself, like, because they can't even agree how to get into a room together to negotiate is That's ridiculous. That's terrible. It's just about how bad our politics have gotten. What? What? What is going on? Why Why? Can't, why don't these people talk? <laughs> we had five elections in four years. So? So everyone's just used to hating on each other all the time, and they never had time in between, really, to calm down and work oh, together that's what, what i think i think what, that we're in this like heightened state like usually when you have a couple years between elections things calm down and people are able to cooperate but still though we're in this we're in this bizarre state where i don't know 80 percent of our parliament agrees with each other on 90 percent of the stuff and yet they you know one block just absolutely supposedly right yeah as you as you pointed out, they do fucking karate with each other on their breaks. <laughs> they just, they don't, they don't, they don't know how to talk to one another. They, yeah. they, they, you know, this one is, uh, you know, fomenting anarchy and this one is um, turning us into hungry. I, I, yeah, I mean, and people always say it's like the BB question, right? It's like if BB left, like everything would be better. And it's like yes and no. You know what I mean? Because okay. 
BB is there because he is like an avatar for something for for people who feel aggrieved and feel that he's their champion and that's not going to disappear when BB disappears. Okay, really? I guess like, you're right. Yeah, I mean that that is kind of what this is, right? It's this... absolutely what it is. It's just, yeah. I was at a a dinner with some like a, like a foundation that donates to Israel and the mm-hmm. board was here and they invited me and a few other reporters and. There were four of us, and I was the last one to speak, right? And they were all talking about what's going on in Israel. And I was sort of like, well, what have they not said yet that I can contribute? That's always the worst part about being last, right? Is that the thing that you prepared has already been said. Right. So I ended up talking about identity politics, which is not my favorite thing at all. I really don't like framing things in terms of identity. But you also can't ignore that people feel their identities very strongly. And I think that there is, you know, I large swath of this population possibly even half of israel that feels like they um even though they keep winning elections their voice is not really heard because the court thwarts all the things they want to do right right Right. now the other half of the population feels like if that half is out of control and no one's thwarting what they do they're going to ruin our country but like that's you know and so the half that feels that the court is stopping them at every turn it tends to be is is more skews more Sephardic and skews more religiously traditional. Right. And and those those identities are often discussed in this political conversation. And again, just to make this even more bizarre, yeah. their champion is the Ashkenazi secular elitist, <laughs> like super elitist. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, well, he wasn't a mapainik, so he started out yeah, not as an elitist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know what's what's bizarre though about Netanyahu? I, I so I voted for the guy this election hmm. um, just because you know I, I just didn't want to vote for Lapid. You know, as a okay. former journalist, as a, looking to another former journalist, I think having <laughs> one of them run the country is a bad idea. Um, and and honestly, you know, Netanyahu did a great job. You know, I moved here in two thousand ten. He came to power in two thousand nine, and in the ten or eleven years that he was in power. We saw less violence. We saw economic growth. Yeah. We had a peace plan with, or whatever you want to call it, normalization treaties with Arab states. These are like monumentally impressive things, right? Right. That, that, right. I'm not saying he did it all by himself, but he was sort of in charge, right? Or he was the figurehead in charge. I, I don't know. I mean, okay, the problem, of course, is, and I'm not, you know, blind to this stuff, is the corruption trial. Which just goes to show you how 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 highly I think of the other side, and then um, and of course just his bedfellows, right? That that yeah, I I don't know. There's another way to put it, but like the the Orthodox are just a drain, an economic drain on this country, right? And uh, it's not it's not sustainable. Yeah. And still, I voted for the guy, and again, I come back to this like. I, what do you want in your prime minister? I don't think that you need to have a you know school like a scout you know some some pristine. But you're, and then, like nobody, you're not gonna have a prime minister who's like that. Like you're just not going to like. Well, ben, who's like that? Ben seems clean. I have to say. Yeah, fine. He's not corrupt, but all politicians play games. Sure. Like I don't think Lapid's corrupt either. 
but he hope he plays games, you know, and yeah. he calls people's names and he slings mud, you know, like yeah. no, you're not gonna have a Boy Scout, but it's true. Bennett is pretty close to a Boy Scout. <laughs> he also talks like a Boy Scout, you know what I mean? He's yeah. so he's so earnest, and that's something that I always really liked about him. Yeah. Um, but but it it has started to grate on me a little bit because like when it got to the point when like he did something that was like very deeply controversial and that his a lot of his voters felt was a betrayal like he continued talking that way and it was like very clearly not speaking to the people who voted to him and i was like you need to snap out of it <sighs> oh, come on he did something that was amazing no i'm not saying but i'm saying that his voters felt that way and that that's what erased him politically okay, and so he needed to he needed to switch out of that mode this is the what kumbaya is... mode no, because because no. no one voted you know no one was voting for him he had okay, to he I went know. from prime minister to leaving politics yeah, and not because he retired and that and that's what's so fucked up about him is that he ends the the you know we had i don't know how many elections in a row yeah he comes in somehow right and he's the head of this coalition the first time uh, an Arab party in Israeli government, like an actual partner in the government. And he's with secular people. He's with right-wing people. Yeah. He himself is, well, he's not a settler, but, you know, he identifies himself with the settler movement. Like, this is, this is precisely what I want. Yeah. I want this kumbaya. I want to see it work, you know, in action. And he gets punished. His voters say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> right. It's like, what? what? Why? The, um, same thing, the same thing happened to Benny Gantz. I'm fascinated by this. Benny Gantz, right? Remember, just before COVID. Election, election, election. COVID, the whole world is going to end. He's like, oh my God, we got to get together. We can't have any more of these silly elections. We've got to band together and, and figure something out. Yeah. Because Lord knows what's going to happen now. Let's form a government. Let's get stuff done. And... He, it, it all just falls apart for him. The voters punish people who try to unify. It's, it's, it's insane. We're living in some sort of insane society. Yeah, I think things are just so polarized. But Although, why? I will say that I think that if Bennett had formed a government with labor, but not with an Arab party, that maybe people would have swallowed it better. <laughs> I think... <laughs> Um, Why? It's because I just look at the things people say and people who I know and, and the fact that there's been a million governments with Likud and labor and it was fine. Hold on, hold on. Now I'm going to use your own words against you. You said that politicians, there's there's two kinds of lies, right? There's the, yeah. the empty promises and then there's like the lie lies, you know? Right. But so I, I, I get it. Who cares about the empty promises then? First of all, I'm not saying it's that it's who cares. I'm just saying that it's... No, I'm saying who cares. Right. I'm saying it's the empty promises are, are more legitimate to me than an outright, right. an outright lie. Right, right. Um, but, and I'm also not, spe like, I'm not speaking my opinion here. I'm speaking what I saw about Bennett's voters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They cared more about, they, they cared more, look, the charitable way to say it. Yeah is that they want a government that's made up of people who are Zionists because they feel like those people share the, are, have a shared destiny and a shared yeah. idea of what this country should be. Yeah. And Rob is not that. The less charitable is they don't want an Arab in a position of power. Yeah, which I think is also so bizarre because 
Because, like, you're not going to get someone who's more, like, I don't know if integrated is the word, but, like, more willing to cooperate with the Zionist idea and enterprise than Mansour Abbas, basically. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it just people cooperate better when they're included, right? It's yeah. Sorry to sound a bit like a, a leftist here, but yeah. it's no, true. No, I, it's I true. Think... Give, give everyone a stake. Make them part of the system. I mean, that is what a democracy is, right? Right. And then they play ball. Then they find ways to collaborate with one another. And, you know, it's it's so bizarre because, again, even like the Haredim, right, who one would think that they are as much opposed to the idea of a Jewish democracy as, as the Islamists are. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's, as far as I understand, this is an illegitimate form of governance in their eyes. And yet they play ball. Yeah, I mean... Do they think it's an illegitimate... I don't think it's that they think it's an illegitimate form of government. I think they just think it's not like a Jewish form. Like, as in, like, there's nothing holy or special about it. Uh, Because, like, you have Haredim who run for office in, you know, New York City and state, right? Like, it's not that they're opposed to democracy. It's just, like, they see the secular state of Israel... In the same way they would see, like, the, the instruments of the secular state of Israel, the same way they would see any other state of the world. Right. Like, to them, there's nothing Jewish about that. But am I wrong in thinking that they, they and see so, No, so they could take or leave democracy, you know? But am I wrong to think that they see it as, like, a way station or a stop on the way to whatever the redemptive state is? Yes, but they're not supposed to take any action to bring the redemptive state. Like, it will come when it comes. That's the difference between religious Zionists and one of the big differences between religious Zionists and Haredim. Wait, explain this to me. Okay, so religious Zionism is that the state of Israel is what they say, the the beginning of the redemption. Oh. And that, that was why before the state even existed, you had religious Zionists who were signing up for the army because they wanted to be part of this miracle that God is giving the Jewish people. Okay. For Haredim, the redemption will come when God comes and makes the redemption happen. It's oh. not their job to bring it. <laughs> <laughs> they live here because this is a safer and more comfortable place for Jews to live. And it's a holy place. It's, you know, every four steps you take okay. on this ground is a mitzvah. No wonder they don't work. But, well, <laughs> that's a different story. But to them, the the secular state of Israel, the apparatus of the state, there's nothing holy about it. There's nothing holy about the IDF. When you're a religious Zionist, that's, you are taking part in bringing the redemption by serving in the army. Okay. Wow, I didn't know this. Okay, yeah. cool. cool. Um, so that's the difference between Smotrich and even Itamar Ben-Gvir and, you know, Gafni and Derry. Yeah. So what do you think? Even though Ben Gur didn't serve in the army, <laughs> what, do, what do you think is actually going on? Like, is this, is is this is our society really falling apart, or are things actually better than they than they appear to us? I think things are better than they appear to us, but I think a big part of the problem is that the the like elites who are protesting now, and again, it's not all of them, but I think it's the vast majority of them. Yeah, they have not felt the need to look outside their own bubble. Yeah. Like, I could say, like, I, I am a religious person, but, like, when I walk on the street and I meet people, like, they have no idea. And people say things without knowing I'm religious, or even when they know I'm religious, that are actually really insensitive or just really clueless. Like what? And, like, it doesn't hurt my feelings, but I'm like, okay. Like, uh, okay, so, like, a year after I started reporting for the Kesson, I got married. And I decided not to cover my hair after I got married. 
And literally someone came up to me and was like, well, I really like that you don't cover your hair because I feel like when a woman covers her hair, she's like less approachable. And I was like, you know, and this is someone I worked with day to day and a nice guy, and I don't think he meant anything bad. But I, first of all, it was like a very personal decision for me, right? It's sort of like what I'm doing with my body every day. Right. And second of all, like, why is that woman not approachable? Like, why do you, why is it, why do you have to see a woman's hair in order to feel like you can approach okay. her? Like, it's very weird. It's Let's... just because that person's culturally different to you, right? It's just because you're uncomfortable with that difference. Hang, hang on a second. This, this is something I've, I'm dying to talk to a woman about. All right. Okay. <laughs> what is so special about a woman's hair that it's like, you compliment it and it's like there's there's something there <laughs> i did this once just as an experiment i'm kind of crazy i went okay. one of my in one of my uh favorite bakeries where i live on my street um i go there you know pretty often mm-hmm. and you know so you see the same people over and over again but i don't, I don't really know them but i you know i smile and say hello yeah and one time uh one of the people there behind the counter a woman she had um she kind of like blew out her hair okay like, usually it was in a ponytail this time she she blew out her hair curls like really curly and i was like wow it looks really nice on her now i was like i'll compliment her yeah so i like I really like your hair thank you you know after i finished my order and i got the fuck out of there you know i told and every woman that i've uh i've told this to has said that i've cro- I crossed the line really yeah are you not well to i don't know that it's about her hair specifically but i like if a man you don't know compliments your looks then like you're like is he hitting on me like it's weird yeah hair but hair is your appearance. It's part of your appearance. Mm. And so I feel like it's it probably, to me, like at least, if that was this, I, I would probably just take it in stride, personally. Well, but I, I I would imagine that it's just because you're commenting on her appearance. Here, okay, but here's the, here's the, here's my perspective, right? Yeah. Where it gets weird or, or possibly even offensive is, is if it's taken in a sexual manner, right? Right. Um, I have been a man all my life. Right. <laughs> I have been around men and we have, you know, we've had these like sex talks and never once has the quality of a woman's hair ever come up in like a, oh, <laughs> I really dig this woman because her hair X, Y, or Z. It's just it's like not a thing, you know? Right. So that's why like for me, it's so bizarre. And, and But like women, sorry, not women, I shouldn't say all women, but a lot of the women that I do talk to, it's like, uh-uh, no, don't do that. So Interesting. So, okay, so tell me, like, back to that, to your example. Well, I'm also, like, not one of these people who, like, immediately jumps to think someone's sexually harassing me, like, much less than other. When Me Too happened, and, like, every woman in the world was, like, putting up statuses of, like, when they were sexually harassed, I was like, hmm, I don't think I was ever sexually harassed. And then, like, I would have friends who say to me, like, well, what about when this happened? What about when this happened? And I was like, oh, I guess I just wasn't, like, deeply affected by that. You know? Like, it just... I was able to just shrug it off and move but on. It's, again, like the threshold is different, right? Because maybe that woman thought I was harassing her, but if I had said right. that to you... Right, right. I think I, it's very subjective. He, he right. Even this person with the head covering thing, like, I was not offended. I still really like this person. I think he's a cool guy. But I thought to myself in that moment, like, that is an insensitive thing to say. Like, yeah. I just realized that he did not know it was an insensitive thing to say. It's so hard, huh? Like, how men and women have to interact. Yeah. But maybe that wasn't the best example of the, like, no, but religious that, secular divide. But even, even that, but, that word, approachable, like, what the hell does that even mean? Right. Right. Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, right now, you and I, I can't, I, can I approach you to have a conversation? I did it. 
Yeah. I don't, I'm not expecting anything else out of this. Just, I want to talk. You know, I want to know what the hell's going on inside your head. Yeah, exactly. So, it's so bizarre, huh? Like, why... But, it's, but it is hard to disentangle, like, the, the sexual aspect of any interaction between men and women, right? I guess. I mean, I just... You know, you just have to not think about everything no, in that way. Of course, but of course, obviously, of so course. many people do because yeah. it's just so fraught. Okay. Anyway, so. But the, with the religious secular thing, I I feel like, it, and if you go back, like sort of like to to living as the Jewish minority in America, right? You live in the Jewish minority in America. You know a lot of things about like Christians and their holidays and what they do yeah. and whatever. And Christians know almost nothing about Jews. Right. Like they kind of know like about the menorah. Like Hanukkah, they think Hanukkah is the most important holiday because it comes at the same time as Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like that's it. And so I feel like in Israeli society, like we do have like a lot in common in terms of like we know each other's holidays yeah. and stuff. But yeah. like at the the average like secular Israeli certainly who lives in like the Tel Aviv area and whatever, they don't need to really understand how we observe the holidays. Here, here's another example. When I was 17 years old, I made Aliyah, but before that. Six months before, I came to Israel for the tests for um, national service. Because okay. I was religious, my parents didn't want me going to the army. They wanted me to do civilian service. And nowadays, it's a lot more common for religious Zionist girls to go to the army. But at the time, it wasn't. And so I came to Israel for two weeks, and I was staying at a relative, like a religious relative. Mm -hmm. And I was taking these different tests and doing inter It's like a job interview, really. Okay. Um, but it was right before Purim. And I have a cousin my age who's secular. And I said, let's go shopping for Purim costumes because I need a costume when I go back to America. And at first she was like, you celebrate Purim in America? And I was like, yeah, you know, like I go to a Jewish school. <laughs> you know? right. She was like shocked. And then I mentioned something about going to synagogue on Purim. She was like, you go to synagogue on Purim? I was like, you know, there's this thing, the Megillah. And I was like, how does someone live, you know, 17 years, like we were seniors in high school and not right. know that? Right. But you know, I, I think maybe there are a lot of people out there who don't know that it's normal for half, maybe even more of Israelis to go to synagogue on Purim. You know, just the, these are little examples. Yeah, these are yeah, little yeah. anecdotes. But like, yeah. I feel like as a religious person in Israel, that the quote unquote secular Ashkenazi elites, like they don't actually, they think they understand my life, but they don't. And I also think that people who are more religious than myself and more insular and don't hang out with secular people so much think that like all the secular people are like on drugs all day you know having orgies <laughs> so well like, that part's true right the drugs part in tel aviv is it's close but like you know what i mean and so it's like these people like on the one hand we have this shared thing of israel as a jewish state and yeah. and democratic state as well but like the we have this special thing in common yeah. and on the other hand we don't see each other and the army used to be the great equalizer for that but right. with the hester program like a lot of religious people the what sorry that you know hester yeshivas oh you don't know about this okay so remember i don't know anything about your world yeah religious Zionist yeshivas <laughs> this has been around for like 50 years now so you should know <laughs> you should know secular people complain about this Time too out. let me just say let me just yeah. say First of all, I, I yes, I agree with you. <laughs> but this country is so there's so much going on here. I don't think anyone knows what the hell's going on here. That's true. That's true. Now, and I mean this genuinely. It's not like I don't I don't take it as an insult at yeah. all. That's part of the reason why I, I, I like doing this. It's like there's just so much going on. So yeah. much. You know. Anyway, to your point. So the normal army service for a man is three years, right? Yeah. 
there's something called a Hesder Yeshiva, which literally means arrangement yeshiva, where there's, and these are religious Zionist yeshivas, where you like basically study for a year and a half, study Torah for a year and a half, then you go to the army for a year and a half, yeah. then you go back to yeshiva for a year, but you do reserve duty like for like a month or two months, whatever, during that year. Okay. And so a lot of religious Zionist guys, they serve in the army for less time than secular guys. Okay. I don't remember why this came up. Oh, I know why it came up. But then they serve in their own sort of like separated units. And so they're not part of that like oh. sort of equalizer, melting pot, whatever you want to call it, yeah. of the army. Yeah. They don't really meet secular people or they yeah. do, but barely. Yeah. So um, weird. It's really interesting. So my husband started out in a yeshiva like that. And then he decided he wanted to do three years of the army and not go back to yeshiva. Right. And it, it's very different because at a certain point you're moved over and there's different people serving with you, you right, know? Right, And And he works now, you said he works for a high-tech company in yeah. in the Jerusalem area or in Tel Aviv? In Tel Aviv. Okay, so he's he's doing drugs with all of us. <laughs> no comment. Right. Um, you thought he was going to the reserves. Right. Um, but it, it, in high-tech it's interesting too because I actually think there's a pretty fair population of religious people who are in high tech sure uh because also because i mean this is there's a trend around the world that like the social sciences and things like that are and, and the like liberal arts like people aren't studying those topics as much mm. but with religious people i think it's long been the case because of a sense of um there's a and again these are people who tend to be like more stringent than I am but there's a concept of where like you can learn like science and math and things that have like a specific goal of a specific job but like you shouldn't really be learning the like philosophy and way of thinking of that's not Jewish and so you tend to have like a lot more like religious people who are like engineers and doctors and things like that because See, that's, that's interesting yeah how do you how they do don't. You... They don't learn literature as well in the schools. Like I was, I didn't go to school here. I went. I only. I went to college here, but I didn't go to school here before that. But my yeah. sister went to high school here, and yeah. I was like at a religious high school, and I was like shocked that they like didn't study literature. But how like does at the, all. how does the mind not wander into so-called dangerous areas for a religious person if you're studying physics or? Well, first of all, like actually, the average religious person who I know is like pretty into you know reads a lot is well read and is intellectual and is you know um like i go to the the i go to the theater pretty often in tel aviv that's something i miss like the convenience of that and you see a lot of kippa so like Mm. it's like maybe that's the theory that you're not supposed to like have the wisdom of the other nations but like they they do you know um but sure but if you're really stringent about it if you're really strict about it and haredim for sure are really strict about it it's like you either have to really close yourself off the way a lot of haredim do or you have to find a a balance (sighs) this thing about not knowing who we are and not not mixing as much anymore it makes me sometimes like for example I, lately, my wife and I have been thinking about leaving the country, and not because of the mm-hmm. political thing. It's just, as you mentioned, it's really fucking expensive. Yeah. It's insane, you know? And, yeah. you just, and you never catch a break. Like, you work five days a week, your kids go to school, but they go to school half day on Friday. Like, you don't have, there's no weekend. Like, you just, you yeah. know, you're constantly on, right? And it's really expensive. And then, and then it, like, made me think, okay, like, if I left, you know, and I, I, Part of the reason I moved here was that sense of I didn't like being the other. 
right. in my in my society, which treated me fantastically. You know? Yeah. And thinking about leaving the country then made me think, oh God, like I've had that feeling again. Wherever, where, it doesn't matter where I'd be, I'd still be the minority. I'd still be have to explain what the hell my name is and what what are these weird holidays that we do and yeah. why we don't eat certain things. It's just you know, it's just right. You're always different. And it made me think that the further we get from the founding of the state and the Holocaust and all that mm-hmm. stuff, that um, Israelis take this, this, this place for granted. Oh, absolutely. Israelis have no idea what it's like to be a minority. Yeah. And, you, and you, then you see the kind of behavior that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Right? And you see, you know, I always... The prime example for me was always like Israelis who move abroad and then they don't think they need to live in a Jewish community or give their kids any kind of Jewish education. And yeah. they don't realize they don't realize how much in Israel it's just like in the air. Yeah. You know, like the example I give is like when it's Shavuot, they sell like special packages of dairy products, like so you can make a cheesecake and things like that. Yeah. And most American Jews don't even know what Shavuot is, probably. Really? I think. Look, most Amer- I mean, the largest group right now of American Jews are, like, unaffiliated, isn't it? Or they're the fastest right. growing or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. how many Jews... I, I just think that, like, most Jews who are not really Jewishly involved, they, like, celebrate Passover and Hanukkah and, make, and the high holidays. Right. They don't know that, like, there's other holidays. Or they vaguely, very vaguely. Know. Right. And the rates of intermarriage are going up. I mean, I don't they're, know. It's over 50%. I don't even know what I, what I think about that. It's really. considered, like, politically incorrect to talk about it now, which is something that I only learned, like, as an adult. Because for me growing up, like, that was, like, a huge, like, that was, like, the pr- prime pr- directive, right? Like, you cannot marry someone who's not Jewish. You sure. have to perpetuate the Jewish people, yeah. you know? Um, and then only, like, as an adult, writing for the Jerusalem Post, meeting a lot of people who are not just not orthodox but like are just have a very different perspective because like my only my immediately immediate family was orthodox like my Mm. my grandparents my aunts and uncles like none of them were orthodox but they were all married to jews so like it was just like it didn't occur to me when i was growing up in america that there were people who thought otherwise but it's really yeah like in the in the reform movement like they you can marry non-jew and it's you know and there's um the the children of you know where the father's jewish and not the mothers are they're considered jewish which i don't that doesn't bother me as much to be honest but like they they don't even encourage it anymore like they don't even talk about intermarriage as a problem because they're worried about it alienating like almost everyone in their congregations at this point wow wow okay yeah it's also i mean imagine you're you're swimming in a sea of, of non-Jews like what you're not supposed to find any of them to be right your right. partner like that's also pretty draconian though yeah yeah <laughs> well that's why for me growing up like my parents were like you're gonna go to Jewish school you're gonna go to Jewish summer camp you know yeah. I did almost nothing with, I barely knew any non-Jewish people yeah it's so do you have to go by the way you... no I just I was just surprised that my baby's sleeping so long that's why I was looking at my watch I was like <laughs> what time is it <laughs> how was it with three it's harder. <laughs> We're like outnumbered, um, but but it's good. The kids are really like they love him and they're really sweet. With yeah, him. have yeah. they welcomed uh, number three with 
So my, my daughter, who's six, is, like, obsessed with him. She wants to be, like, little mom. Mm-hmm. She's always asking, like, can I feed him? Can I feed him? Because, like, we use a bottle. And I'm like, <laughs> no, Sweet. you can't. You're Why too not? small. Because she's too small to hold him. If he's, like, strapped into his chair that I have right here next to me, like, fine. She's six. But, yeah, but I don't want her holding him. <sighs> That's the mom in you, I think. Yeah, what, no. what is what is What's your husband's name? Natan. Natan. What does he say? Does he let it? I think he, on this thing, he follows my lead. I don't, she's not that big. I worry she'll, like, drop him, you know? <laughs> Sitting, sometimes if she sits down, I'll, like, put him on her lap. But yeah. he's, like, big for her, you know? He, she can't hold like his that, hand. Like, that sofa over there, it's, it looks like it's long enough that nothing, nothing, nothing could possibly happen, no? Yeah, she's, like, had him on her lap a couple times, but I'm, like, right there next to her. <laughs> like, I don't trust that she could carry him. But, like, he lies on his mat, and she'll, like, wave toys in his face. And, like, she could do that for an hour, and she's entertained. My son, who's three, like, and I think it's a combination of him being three and also him being a boy, like, he just doesn't really care that much, like, yeah. whether the baby's there or not. Right, right, <laughs> Like, right. unless the baby's in his way, then he cares. Yeah. But It's so funny to have three because it's just the, the patterns are... They're inevitable. Yeah. If you think about how you are with your eldest, how you are with your middle, and then at some point how you are with the youngest, it's scary how it just replicates. Like, I'm, I'm also from a family of three. I don't know. Yeah. How many, how many are you? Two. Two. Okay. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Two. <laughs> You're the youngest or oldest? I'm oldest. Oldest. Yeah. Okay, so are you the kind of person that's like the weight of the world on your shoulders and you're really hard on yourself and you're taking No, care? that's the crazy thing. Like, no, not oh, at so all. Oh, so you're not the No, my sister is the much more like everything is like, wow. Like, you know, okay. I, I take things easy usually. But yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't like that growing up. It was like, I had to mature into it. What do you mean? Um, I took things very seriously growing up and I was like very sensitive, you know, like I was like, cry over things and whatever yeah, yeah and as i got older i was able to take things easier to like take them in perspective of like this is not like life ending okay yeah but as a as um as the eldest though did, did you find yourself in a lot of like leadership uh, roles no i don't know i mean first of all i had one sister you know so it wasn't like i was like leading a whole pack of kids but i <laughs> i do think um Pretty were you, ambitious, were so maybe that. Were you protective of your sister? Yes, but also she's five years younger than me, so we weren't like in the same places a lot of the mm. time. Like now, as adults, like five years is not that much, but as kids, like mm. when I was in high school, she was in middle school. Like we weren't in the same place, right? And by that point, whatever she was going through was five years in your in your past. Like you couldn't exactly teach her. This, you could. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I helped her with her homework and things like that when we were kids, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. things like that. Or, like, her, <laughs> whereas, like, my science projects I'd have to do with my parents, like, she could do her science projects with me sometimes. Yeah. Not always. Like, my parents did them, too, for her. But, No, but, know. for example, by the time you were 13, you, you, there's a five-year five yeah. five gap? So by the time you were 13, that's puberty, that's boys, that's all that kind of stuff. Right, and like... And that's just eight. <laughs> yeah, so that's why like when we were little, it was just, it was like very, we were in different worlds. Yeah, like, you know, totally. obviously we had like bonding experiences of siblings, but it was not like we were like together all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, I'm sure you have this because it's just like a thing with parents, but do you, do you see your life through the eyes of your, I mean for now, your eldest? Like, the things that she's going through, the phases that she's going through, like, do you recognize? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of my personality in her. Oh, yeah. But it's really interesting because I was always a very, um, 
chill isn't the word but I was like low like I was low energy (laughs) let's put it that way like yeah like when I was my daughter's age six like all I wanted to do was curl up with a book I was not running I was not on the playground like you had to push me out of the house to play outside okay and she is just like she she has a lot of my personality but the one thing she hates from my husband is that she's like a ball of energy and like she needs to run around both of my kids who are possibly all three of my kids they need to like we need to like run them around outside for them to get exhausted otherwise like yeah. it's their disaster well they're kids right i i was not like that even as a child i was like okay. i come home from school and i'm like where's my book you know so when <laughs> that did this, was me <laughs> when did this uh i mean certainly your online personality is fierce man <laughs> you get into some scraps with people yeah, I, I think know. it's like revenge of the nerds like, I was just a huge nerd as a kid, and I had horrible self-confidence, and I felt like nobody, like, liked me, cared about me, and I tried, I tried so hard. I was, like, such a try-hard, you know, and so now I think maybe now I'm, like, I'm an adult, I am doing the thing I always dreamed of doing, and I am happily, ma- like, I'm happy, and I don't have those hang-ups anymore. But you, okay, so a couple of things. So I'm like put myself out there more, you know, because I don't yeah. have those hangups. So do, but do you, <laughs> do you remember the first time that you crossed that line? That you just said, I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to say what I think. I wouldn't say I don't give a fuck anymore, but. You know what I mean, right? But you, no, but you, in a sense you don't because you just, you let it out, right? You yeah. live with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I will say we go back to talking about the sexual harassment things and mm-hmm. that. Like I had a lot of hangups about boys always. And so I think that like finding a nice guy and getting married like took like a huge like weight and stress off of me oh, that wow. I always had in my life that I was always thinking about like what are people looking at me and thinking about me and saying that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Isn't that in uh, it it um it speaks to this uh thought I have or this philosophy that the source the ultimate source of confidence yeah is love I yeah that's a very beautiful way of putting it I think that's true because is that you feel like and and I don't want to like no knock on my parents because I think they were very supportive parents but I think yeah that that gives you like a certain level of support so long as you know that whatever screw-ups you made that there's someone there that says yeah like that just gives you whatever you all the ammunition you need to keep going, right? That's and, very uh, beautiful. I'll I think fine. it's true. Yeah. So I think about that with my kids. You know, it's like I love you, love you, love you, love you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because you know that's if if ever there's one thing I want for my kids, and this is like I really have to be careful as a parent because you know you shouldn't want anything for your kids. It's their lives at the end of the day, right? But I want them to just have the confidence to just do whatever it is that they feel and want and love to do. And that's so hard, you know, it's so hard. It is, it is. Because I, I mean, I can say this as a child of parents who, like like I had said earlier, my parents are both lawyers. They have very strong opinions that they express. Yeah. And they, they always, and they still do say that they love me no matter what. But I always had a very clear idea of what my parents want for me. You know, they mean meaning that they told you we we want you to do uh, we want you yeah, to do this. Yeah, but even sometimes when they don't tell you, it's like it's like nowadays that we're adults. My mother always says, "I never pressured my kids about school." 
And I always felt like if I didn't get an A, like I would be in trouble. <laughs> and I don't know who's right. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. know if it was like something my mom said to me or if there was like an internal feeling. Yeah. She wasn't like, it's not like, you know, she was sending me to like tutors and cramming and whatever. Like I was doing this myself. It's true. Right. And I did most of my school projects myself. Like I didn't need her to do it with me. Right. But what was it that made me feel like I would be a huge disappointment if I didn't do well, you know? Yeah, well, that's that's uh, and that's actually very easy for a child to pick up on because I'm just learning this now. It's, um, with my eldest, like he he has a bit of self esteem issues, and mm-hmm. my older sister, she's a psychologist, and she says you have to be careful with how you um, praise and also castigate. Which is, if you only praise when your child does something extraordinary, say, yeah then they the signal they pick up is i will get approval from my parents only when i perform at my peak right Right. and if i'm if i'm making mistakes and i'm being you know constantly told or punished or whatever only when i do those things then then there's also this this you instill in them a fear to make mistakes which is terrible because mistakes are how you you learn mistakes aren't even mistakes right it's it's they're gifts, you know? Yeah. Screw-ups, <laughs> that's what teaches you the real stuff, you know? Yeah. You know, playing it safe, man, that... You don't really learn that much, you know? Um, and so, I don't know, it's 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 so difficult to be a parent. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. You think about these things, like... Yesterday, I was just talking about, like, food, right? How, like, I don't want to reward my kids with food because that messes up your relationship with food. Like, I feel like I reward myself with food, and that's not good, you know? Especially now that I just had a baby, so I want to lose that weight. (laughs) But, like, I... And I also don't want my kids to have the habit that every day at 4 o'clock, they have something sweet. They have, like, a piece of cake, which is basically how I grew up. I mean, I grew up eating, like, you know, Drake's cakes every day after school. Yeah. Um, And... And it's really, it's hard to, like, break, like, the expectation of, like, this is what a childhood should look like. This is what you're supposed to do. And try to build, like, new habits and ideas for your kids. The fact that they're growing up in, like, a completely different environment that I grew up in maybe makes it a little bit easier. (laughs) But, you know, um, you have to think of ways to reward your kids that are not, like, giving them a chocolate or candy. Which, but even yeah. even this thing that you're trying to break this this habit with the snacks. Yeah. Well, they're hungry yeah. after school, so like you have to bring them something. But... Right, right. No, of course. Kids are kids are constantly snacking. Yeah. But w- what makes you think that that's something you need to change? You know, like do you look well, back. Well, I it feel like I I do look back at it fondly, but I feel like I feel a need for sweets every day in a way that's like not healthy okay. to like break I don't want you know I want to like break my sugar addiction I don't want to stop eating sugar because right. I know that that's going to be like too much for me but yeah. I would like to be a person who doesn't feel like she has to eat chocolate every single day of her life right, right. <laughs> so I would like my children to also be people who feel like they don't need to eat chocolate every day of their life and I don't I don't deny them chocolate but I try to make it that it's not an everyday food the thing is though the balance is so strange because yeah some kids they can just eat all the junk food in the world growing up and then at some point they just don't care you know they're not into it now yes right. obviously if you give them junk food they, they you know they get obese and they develop all sorts of health problems that's terrible yeah it's just very difficult to know what the right balance is you're right it's healthy behaviors but if you look back on it fondly and here you are you know fulfilling your dreams as you said right right 
That's what's so weird. It's like, I don't know if you ever had this thought, but this just goes to show you how arrogant I was as a dad that, you know, when they had um, our first son and he was such an easy baby and I was, just, I was having a blast. Like mm -hmm. it was the most natural, easy thing for me. I didn't care about the crying. Like it just, it didn't affect me, you know? Yeah. And now that I'm seeing that my son has, you know, he comes home and he screams at me and we have arguments and stuff. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I am not good at, not, not that I'm not good, but I'm just a normal parent, you know? Right. Yeah, I get that. I mean, right. When I lose patience and I yell at my kids and then I'm like, oh, shit, why did I yell at them? You know? Yeah. But we all do it. Yeah. We all do it. And isn't that bizarre also when you, when you walk on the street and you, you see all these happy families and these happy parents and like... I know what you're doing. <laughs> Don't lie to me. And when you see, like, a toddler have a meltdown in public and the parents, like, doesn't not know what to do with them or is yelling at them, you're like, I, I can relate. Like, I never, I will never judge those people again, <laughs> you know? Have you, ever, have you ever been the parent that's gone a little bit too far in public? I think I've done that. In public? Yeah. I, I guess it probably depends what you think is too far. Well, but I... By your own standards. I don't think so, actually. I don't know. Maybe in front of like friends on a play date. The thing, the thing that my daughter does that drives me crazy is when she has a play date and the play date ends, uh -oh. she won't let go. Like either we're at someone's house and I need to get her out of that person's house and she's like barricading the door, you know, <laughs> or like hold, like or if her friend has to leave, she'll like hold her friend for dear life, you know. And I'm like, you can't do this. Like, and that's the thing that's like it's in front of other people, and I'm like, how do I? we get out of this situation without me like yelling in front of these other parents. Can I tell you something? Yeah. When you, the first thought that came to my mind when you told me this story yeah. was I imagined you protesting the Gaza disengagement plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's precisely what that was. Could be. Could be. <laughs> she is your daughter. She does not want to disengage from her friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, in on online you, right? Yeah. So there, there's the... There's the you that just lets lets it out. Like you, you say what you think. Do you also think that that is also the online you? Like are you like this as well in person? I can't I, I think can't. I'm not as clever in person. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, like you on Twitter I can take time to think about what I'm gonna say. Even, and even and try that. to say it in the most clever way in two hundred and eighty characters. In real life I think I'm not as like witty, <laughs> you know? Takes time. I, I don't know, you have I'm just in talking to you. You're a very lucid thinker. Or, or, Thank you. Yeah, no, really. I, mean, I also, at this point, I have probably like 10 years experience of like public speaking about Israel and issues in Israel, so that helps. Okay. But I, I definitely think like I'm funnier and whatever when I can sit and think of a joke. Yeah. You but know? what about, no, when, 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 I feel like when you start shooting fire is when you start talking, clapping back at people who get snarky with you. Yeah, but I have to do less of that because it drives me. It's it's too it's too upsetting. Like I I can't, like I try not to let people get into my head, especially because some of them are just like strangers. But like also I just, I don't want to be a person who's just like negative all the time. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I I'm trying to not you know not to feed the trolls as we say, but occasionally I do it anyway. Yeah. Why? Why? Um. Is it just something like an ego thing? You just can't let it go. Like what? I think, well, like, one of my weaknesses, Revenge of the Words, is one of these weaknesses where I'm, like, a know-it-all, you know, where I'm, like, this mm. person's wrong, and I know why they're wrong, so I have to say it. Like, I can't let the, oh, there's, you know, XKCD? No. 
Oh, okay. It's this webcomic. It's like a very popular webcomic. And they have like, they have this one that is just like story of my life where one person's like, you hear, there's like a, a word bubble, like from someone who you don't see saying like, honey, where are you? Come to bed already. Okay. And you see a guy sitting at the computer saying, I can't come now. Someone is wrong on the internet. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I relate way too strongly <laughs> to that. And I, I need to like, you know, resist. Because it's just, it's just like a time suck. And it's just like, why get angry arguing with people who like you don't even know and you're not going to change their mind, you know? So when I do it, I always afterwards, I'm like, I can't believe I just did that. Most yeah. of the time. Yeah, of the time. yeah. I will say that like as an early career move, like arguing with people who had a lot more clout than me helped me. <laughs> but that's like the, that's like the bad side of the internet is that like you build notoriety by arguing with people. By being not so nice i mean there's nothing wrong with debating yeah things but yeah it just gets so snarky and you know people are so mean online i really they're (laughs) really mean yeah but even when they're not being mean you can still interpret the text as, right right oh my God, there's you know there's already... also this great tweet that you see people like bring screenshots of it all the time where somebody's like twitter is the only place where like if you say i love pancakes then people come at you and they're like well why don't you like waffles <laughs> like no sorry those are two different things i didn't say i don't like waffles <laughs> so, yeah. what what is your screen time on uh... oh god too much too much i don't know i i I don't know off the top of my head, but it's, like, way too much. And now in maternity leave, too, I'm, like, for the first, like, month to six weeks, I was, like, really good that I was, like, taking a break, and I was, like, reading, and I was, like, binging TV shows, and I was on Twitter all day. And then, like, at a certain point, something broke, and... Well, I know what it is. I just felt like the, the judicial reform and the reaction to it got so hysterical that... And it annoyed me so much <laughs> that I broke and I had to say something. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm online reading about judicial reform all day. And that's, like, not good either. Why unheard? Why did you write for that? Oh. Um, like, of all the places. I can't, write, I can't write for JPOs. I mean, I can't really work in Israel, right? Because I'm on maternity leave. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm being paid by the government to not work. Okay. Um, so, first of all, I was only paid. And also, I... Well, the Jerusalem Post is, like, 90% more, like, read by people outside of Israel. So, But Mm -hmm. I I did want to get to people outside of Israel. Um, And I knew that what I was saying was kind of, like, heterodox. So I wanted to, like, talk, write in that space. I'd written for Unheard before. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, So. Uh, Yeah, I I didn't, uh, I mean, on the one hand, I shouldn't be surprised that everyone is interested in this, in this topic. Yeah. Because they are. Which again is so fucking weird. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but then on the other hand, like unheard, like that's you know. There, there are people I really respect and like to read and write. Yeah, books, yeah, no, so. no, no. I, yeah. I'm not saying that. Uh, it, it's not like a. It wasn't a criticism of the yeah. of the organization. It's just like a. I didn't. I didn't know that they took an interest in Israel as well. Oh yeah, this is my third time writing for them, and oh. I think um, Shani Moore has written for them. Sure. If you know him, and I think Anshul Pfeffer has also written for them. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. Do you miss uh, hanging out with journalists? Depends who. <laughs> no, I miss being in it. The The thing that, on the diplomatic beat, that I missed because of maternity leave that I had the most FOMO for was people went to Kiev with the foreign minister. Like, all of my colleagues and the person who's replacing on maternity leave got to go in Kiev, and the foreign minister met with Zelensky, and I was like, this is, like, 
that's actually the biggest story in the world as opposed to judicial reform. Yeah. And I would have liked to have been there. But maybe BB will go. And then I'll I mean, go with BB. Let's talk about these trips for a second. Yeah. So I went... I went to the one that we went to DC for when Trump unveiled the, yeah. the Trump plan, and then afterwards the Moscow. But you're you're like you're you're we're, you're a sideshow. Like you're not really. Yeah, you're watching what's going on and writing down what's going on for the people who aren't in the room. But you're watching what they let you see, right? Right. You know all the really interesting meetings and conversations that are happening by by all Although, these powerful people. It's like way not in sight. the briefing that day Which in one? the Blair house yeah was one of the most interesting and open like best briefings that I had been to really it that's was... the one where BB said that we're gonna pass the uh, what was it we're gonna annex everything on Monday or something right his spokesman said that and no, he then also said something he then. was like I think he at that point he had tempered it a little bit but he said you know we're gonna start working on it right away right exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and Ron Dermer was there. Ron Dermer right. never talks to the Israeli media, and he was talking to us. And I, I don't want to, like, I don't know what we're allowed to say in terms of, like, who said what or what was on and off the record. But they were both there, and they were both happy. And therefore, I guess, they were more, like, open. Okay. And it was very long. And it was, like, a really good briefing. Yeah. It was a really good one. Because um, BB doesn't trust the media. Sure. And so he usually is not, like, as willing to sort of sit with us for that long. By the way, yeah, it's, uh, I saw polling again, and they take what you want from the polling, but the media in Israel, like in many other places, it's... The it's trust like, is very low. It's like 20%. Yeah. 20%. But I feel like Israelis are obsessed with the media, which is really interesting as well. But they're, there's corner of media, right? It's not like right. one place where everyone says, I, I believe what these people are saying. Oh, uh, maybe. Channel 12 is has very, very broad viewership. Okay. So a lot of people are watching Channel 12 from all different walks of life. And I actually think people complain and they say the media is left wing and elite and whatever. And I don't necessarily dispute that, but I do think that the channels have done a good job trying to at least bring in more voices. Sometimes yeah. you have a, a situation where you'll have, say, like, a panel. They, they started in the past few years doing these panels of, like, ten people, which I think is... <laughs> it, it's just, you can't... You don't know what's going on. Like, it's too much. But you'll have a situation where you'll have, like, seven left-wingers and three right-wingers, and then I'm like, you know... That's totally and, representative of the country. Totally. <laughs> and then, like, the right-wingers can't even talk. But when you look at their, like, reporting staff, I do think you have people from, like, all different walks of life. On this channel, is true. channel 12. This uh, is true. To some yeah. extent, thir- 12 and 11, definitely. 13, maybe less so. Yeah. But it's, it is still so strange that the left-wing so-called reporters only speak to their ideologically similar political counterparts. Yeah. Well, so the Israeli media historically was party-affiliated media. Uh Uh-huh. That's terrible. And that only changed into, like, yeah, that only changed in, like, the 90s, basically. But I suppose that's, that's, I mean, that's what's happening in the U.S., right? Party-affiliated media. Yeah. Right? I I mean, that's kind of breaking down where the new people are, are, not not even, because, like, if I think about Ben Shapiro, it's 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 explicitly conservative media, right? Right. You have very few people who like you can't necessarily pin them down. Like a, I don't know, like a Barry Weiss type person who yeah. probably voted Democrat her whole life, but yeah, you know, yeah. 
Is there someone? Is there something like that in Israel? I I don't know. I can't think about it. No, I, I, that's yeah. that's terrible. I mean, I would like the the Jerusalem Post to be that way, but I don't know. <laughs> well, how is it? I, it's there's it it ebbs and flows. Let's put it that way. Like you know. But it's not. It's not like Haaretz. No, obviously Haaretz is very far. Like the thing that like I think people who don't like speak Hebrew and like live in Israel don't understand is that like the opinions in like the editorial line of Haaretz reflects like a tiny tiny fraction of the Israeli yeah. population. Like Meretz did not get into the Knesset, right? You know, and that's like what their editorial line reflects, like Meretz basically. But but they're very influential. Yes. They're very high quality publication. They put a you know they have huge reporting staff, and uh, yeah, they well written. And so even though they don't have a very broad readership, people yeah, with people in power circles do read it. Like right. They right. they read it to have that contrarian voice. Certainly a contrarian voice. Yeah, it's definitely today, yeah. Right? The, they, they love to read the column every fucking month or something that this is the end of Netanyahu, right, for the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, that's not just them, but yeah. Sure, but there's this one guy who I love. He writes so beautifully, and he's always wrong. It's uh, Yossi Werder. Yes. He, he he writes so... It's it's so much fun to read him, but he's always wrong. <laughs> that's how I feel. Like, I, I actually don't... I read, like, cards online sometimes, but, like, in terms of, like, on Shabbat... Like, what, did I sit in front of a real newspaper and read the weekend column? Right. <laughs> I prefer Yediot. Okay. I, my favorite paper is Makor Really? I think you should read it. It's be- First of all, it's beautifully written in the way that, like, Haaretz is also, like, just high-level Hebrew most of the time. Okay. Um, but it's, it is, the, the focus is somewhat different because they're speaking to a religious Zionist audience overall but they are a really good newspaper generally like yeah, a really like, good weekly paper but yeah. they have also like they, they don't print they bullshit. have real news they don't print bullshit no okay. they have really good interviews you, you should really read them They're i right. remember i mean just try sometime <laughs> one of the one of the paint one of the most painful things about my job when i had it was surveying israeli media just because there was so much nonsense yeah to, to yeah it, it was just it, like unsourced crap, uh, things that didn't make any sense. Just it's really hard in po- the political journalism like ecosystem in Israel to actually to avoid the unsourced stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so because like right, the politicians think they can get away with it, and so yeah. you have no like. It's like you you this politician is telling you like, oh, I'm going to do this and this, and you know they're going to do that, but right. you have no. It's so funny. I, one yep. time, um, there was this, the maritime dispute with Lebanon. Yeah. And I got a call from someone in the energy ministry. And it was an off-record briefing. And, you know, they were telling me a little bit about some of the negotiating stance of Israel had. Yeah. And I asked, like, I asked a bit more penetrating question. Like, give me some more detail. I was like, no, listen, I don't want to. Same thing because I don't want to. Ne- I don't. We don't want to negotiate this stuff on the meeting. Like, but what the fuck are you doing with me right now? <laughs> right. It's so bizarre. It's so ridiculous. It's so. The maritime thing. I think people don't talk enough about because I think, you know, there's like a what goes around comes around, and like 
Lapid ram that through something that people saw was giving up territory and when you give up territory you're supposed to have a referendum and fine he got legal permission not to do it but he did it five minutes before an election like literally like the day yeah. before an election yeah. without any serious consultation with the Knesset and you know when you just disregard the Knesset and that you know you disregard the the structures of yeah. the government then you know that permits the other side to do the same and now it's not like judicial reform was something they had just come up with in November, but like, it wasn't wise of Lapid to behave that way. Now, sure. I, on the other hand, I understand that there was they were worried about the politics in Lebanon, that they were not going to have this opening with Lebanon for much longer so they wanted to get it done. What opening though? They, they did it under The Trump. president who Michelle Aoun is, I, I might be pronouncing it wrong. That was the end of his term. His term was ending October thirty first, and they didn't know if the next person would sign the agreement. Fine, but uh, you know there, there was an open threat from from Hezbollah. I know it, that made it look really bad. Now I'd been covering this for years, and so like I I knew that this wasn't just like Hezbollah only started threatening a few months before it was signed. So like I knew that it wasn't like this is only happening because of Hezbollah, mm -hmm. but it, the optics of it were terrible because. Right. When I wrote these stories, when Steinitz, when Netanyahu was prime minister and Steinitz was energy minister and I was writing these stories, very, you know, the only person paying attention was like Bloomberg and Globes, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, it, it is an important story, you know? It's very, energy, I think, is really interesting. I actually pitched a book about it, but nobody, the, the people I pitched it to thought no one would want to read that. What was, so. your, what was the book? Just about how energy um, has like impacted Israel's international standing and I, like like energy energy diplomacy I also pitched a book on, on energy but more from the company side because yeah but the whole history of energy in Israel is fucking wild man yeah those guys are cowboys literally cowboys <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not joking like they and they and they hook up with these with these um, guys from Texas I think they're also evangelical Christians it's like, oh like, yeah it's such a wild story you know yeah, and and you're right. Like it, 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 the energy game in Israel is, it's like the whole story of Israel was like we have no natural resources, and all right. of a sudden we do, and it's because these wild cowboy Israeli dudes, with the help of some Christian guys from Texas, <laughs> get band together. Yeah, and I make think it it's work. a, I think it's a really great story. But yeah, same same thing. Like no, there's no audience for it. Um, yeah. Or maybe I just suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've wanted to write a book for a really long time. And it's it's hard to find, like, a marketable book idea. All right. So if <laughs> if you could write any book you wanted, what would it be? Uh, well, we haven't discussed this, but I am very interested and passionate about the Temple Mount. And I think that there's a lot of politics there that are also very interesting. And that could be a book. How would you tell it? I'd have to think about that more, but I think I just there's so many like diplomatic and like, like crises that have happened in Israel that involve the Temple Mount, and I think that there's like a lot of stories to be told. There are a lot yeah. of narratives there. So okay, so that, that's that's actually one one question I it's like what kind of book am I reading? Like what what gets you super excited? What kind of writing do you really like? Is oh, the truth is that I get more excited usually reading fiction than nonfiction. Like in my free really? time, I read novels. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of what I read recently, nonfiction. No, what what I'm talking I about like. you as a writer. What gets oh. you? What do you love? Oh no, to write? I don't write fiction. Um, <laughs> I haven't since a very long time. I like first of all, I like 
just writing up like interviews and profiles of people because I think there's a lot of interesting people out there that you know you gotta you, people should get to know them. Yeah. Um, one of the more fun interviews I read it was short, but it was about the woman who runs the at Israel Twitter account. The what? The Israel Twitter account. Okay. She's in the foreign ministry. Okay. They're hilarious. Like, they're the most clever, and they're, like, on top of every social media trend. Really? Yeah, and she's, like, someone who made Aliyah, like, from Brooklyn, and she got a job working on the foreign ministry social media desk in, in college in Israel, and um, just really clever, and has had all sorts of interesting experiences because of it, and so that was a really fun one to write that I wrote how, a few years ago. How do you leverage, you know, managing a successful twitter account into an interesting life <laughs> not really I, I have no idea well because like it's the twitter account of israel the country and all kinds of interesting people reach out and she's yeah. now in charge of like all of the social media for the foreign ministry okay and like just for example like they have social media in farsi so you have all these like iranian people reaching out and saying like actually we don't hate israel and, whoa you know um so it's it's just yeah, she's, she's got to learn and meet all kinds of interesting people. She also travels on a lot of, like, big events to, like, live stream and things okay, like that. Okay, so, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so that, 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 that's how it lends itself to a much more rich experience, I suppose. Yeah, she's not just sitting there on her phone all day. Okay, that's that's what I was imagining. I was like, right. Oh, that doesn't sound that all. But, yeah, okay. but I think she has interactions with interesting people. And she also came up with this idea that, like, every year on uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Day, a Holocaust survivor takes over the Twitter account and answers people's questions, which is really nice. I think Whoa. she's a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And that she lives here? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to talk to her. <laughs> yeah, I could get you in touch with her. Cool, cool. Um, what do you think? Have we talked about enough? We've talked about a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this has been a very broad but honestly, range of things. Who cares? No, that's nothing wrong with it. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I noticed the, the, in the earlier episodes that I did, the mistakes I was making was I was thinking like a journalist. Yeah. Which you is, were trying to get to a certain point. Yes. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, that's your job, right? Like you, you have a limited amount of time with someone. And you're trying to squeeze out something that pushes the whatever yeah. news, even if it's a little bit forward, you know, and it's okay, I've got something, I've, I've, I've done my work, you know. Right. I think that's why people really like, like, Joe Rogan's show, for example, yeah. because it just feels like a real, just, like, conversation between yeah. people and not, like, you know, trying to get at something specific. Yeah. yeah, it's so, it just, it's all over the place, but... Here's the thing, though, and, and that, like, that's actually the beauty of it. Sometimes I think about it just for this place. It's like, that's life, you know? That's how people interact. Like, we're not, you know... I, I'm, I, we don't hold interviews with yeah. each other, you know? We, yeah. There's so much of you and me that's in common and also not, but we can... Yeah, and if we bring it back to what we were talking about before, like, I, I think that this is part of the problem, like, with the social cohesiveness in Israel that's yeah. trying to break apart, is that people are just putting other people in boxes and then dismissing yeah. them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's oh, terrible. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, special, like, unique to Israel, you know, no. I think it happens in lots of places, but I think that that's a lot of what's going on here. But it's potentially more explosive. Right. You know, in a country that, A, has external enemies, but, yeah. like, 
here, here's a, here's a something that's interesting. Like when I was thinking about um, the protest, so the people with the guns aren't actually the conservatives. No. You know, the ones trained to use the weapons are the are the settlers. Well, it's both. I mean, not the the Haredim, fine, not so much, but it's sure, okay, all right. over the place. The settlers and the religious Zionists, yeah. yes, they they go to the army. And, uh, in fact, they, they probably are the ones with the guns these days, right? They are the ones that sign up. That have guns at home, you mean? Yes, also, but yeah. even even more so just who who fights in the combat units now? Yeah, there's a lot more. There's. Right. I mean, I don't think it's the majority religious at this point, but it was like... I remember, and this might have been like 10 years ago already, when they said like 30% of the officer's course was religious. And that was like huge because that's like three times their representation in society. Is it really? Religious Zionists are only like 10% of the country. Oh, wow. For some reason. That's another thing is that like it's always really, it's funny. And I know I do this too, but like when religious Zionists are like, you know, complaining about the elites, but like religious Zionism is like, can be super elitist like really? <laughs> well you, there's a lot of religious Zionists on the supreme court and just like very represented in all kinds of like certainly in bb's inner circle yeah. but in i know in the finance ministry and like you see people with knitted kippahs in high places all over the schools are very good <laughs> and um there's like a drive for i think excellence like culturally which is not exclusive to religious Zionists, but i just think that it's sometimes ironic when religious Zionists compare about elitism <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're right i mean yeah. one of them was a prime minister not so long ago <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah and they are they are in the in in they are in the halls of power for for, for a long time right i mean bennett was in bb circle as far as 2008? Like 2008, yeah. I mean, that's a long time. That's 15 years. Well, BV is often surrounded by, like, uh, he surrounds himself with people who are religious Zionists. Right. Again, so bizarre. And, and always, almost always has, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I always like to end on some sort of optimistic note. Um, so help me. I'm an optimistic person. Okay, good. And I think that this is going to work out. I think there have been big bumps on the road for Israel in the past. You know, I talked about this engagement. There was Oslo. There yeah. was, Oslo did not work out very well, but our internal cohesiveness survived Oslo. I hope that it doesn't take something horrible happening for people to wake up and become, you know, more united again. I hope that we just reach some sort of Can equilibrium. Can I tell you? On uh, when when was it? There was that uh, the terrorist attack on um, in Tel Aviv. Yeah, on Thursday. Thursday last yeah. week. I can't believe. My first thought was, "Oh, crust!" I hope that wasn't you know. Everyone, some... I I told you I was at that dinner this week, and and we were all saying that. Like some someone brought it up, and everyone was like, "Yeah, we thought that too." That a Jew shot another Jew or something. That right? yeah, that we hoped that that was not what was happening. Okay, but even... Uh, well, it's also like when I saw it on my phone, it was like during the protest, someone was shot. Like that was all the headlines. And I'm that, like, why yeah. are they presented like that? Yeah. Like, yes, it's true there were protests happening, but they were like Not a couple that. miles away. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the very fact that, that so many people thought that yeah. is scary. Right, it just shows how, how crazy this has gotten. You know? Yeah. And... Uh, you know, yes, I, I share I share your optimism that that you know the politicians will reach a compromise that nobody will be happy with, but will work out in the end. I think. 
That's but what it has to be. It has to be, a, it has to be a compromise that nobody's really happy with. But then... It's the only way it'll work. It, it's the day after. Like, I, I just... I, I would hope that we don't have this bad... This lingering bad taste in our mouths of like, ah, oh, you see... The, like, the, the secular, secular Jews think... You see those... Um, you know, those religious types, they're, they're out to get us anyway. They're out to take over and destroy everything we built. And then the yeah. other ones, like, oh, you see, they're never going to share power. And the Arabs thinking, <laughs> those Jews yeah. are, are crazy and they're just destroying themselves. I hope not. I really hope that um, that people will actually learn and, like, take, for example, the Bennett and the guns. It's like they avoided going too far and pitting all of us against one another and they and they came right. to some compromise and we celebrate that instead right. of right and i don't see bb or lapid having that instinct <laughs> it's not about either of their politics they're just both like fighters you know and gantz and bennett have a different kind of personality yeah yeah oh jesus yeah <laughs> I, at least, like, they're saying, you know, Netanyahu is not supposed to speak in public about the Jews reform or whatever, but, like, at least the reports are that behind the scenes he's, he's like, trying, to calm, trying to calm things down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, you know, speaks to, I hope. I think it speaks to how bad it's gotten, honestly, because he, mm. like, he's a fighter. Like, he's not, that's not his instinct, I don't think. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I was trying to... I mean, I don't think he's an extremist, that's the thing. Like, people, like... Yeah call him all kinds of things I think are unwarranted. But um, but I do think politically, you know, he, he has his teeth, his claws out all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's because he's constantly in the ring, right? Like yeah. He's constantly getting punched and yeah. people are out to get him. Definitely. Deservedly no. or not, I have no idea. But Right. What's he supposed to do? Just sit there and take it? I mean, sometimes, as you said, right, that people... They go too far and they say things that aren't true. You gotta, you gotta fight back. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you and very. I know well. absolutely. Like I, I, <laughs> I think to myself, like even with like Yair Netanyahu, like he says things that I find like to be really awful. Even if like sometimes I like agree with like whatever ultimate points he's making, like I the way he speaks to people, like I find to be really terrible. It's but I also think like if you lived your whole life the way he did, where people are just like. Mm. hate your family so much all the time oh yeah like how would that affect anybody interesting i know yeah. i guess i never thought about it through his eyes what explain that a little bit because i i've never i've never been in that case. i mean he was such a small child when netanyahu became prime minister in 96 and he's basically lived his whole life where the mainstream like message about his dad is that like his dad is like a terrible corrupt person and a liar and like everyone hates him wow Imagine, okay, so imagine, I'm just trying to imagine my son thinking that about me. Like, I'm that, I'm the, his ultimate role model, because that's what essentially what a father is for a son. Right, I think, it would, I think it would make, any, but but he doesn't think his dad's a piece of shit, right? He loves his dad, and so okay, he, and, and by the way, like, people are horrible to Sarah Netanyahu, too, who, I, I you know, 
there's no smoke without fire and i i know reporters personally who like sarah was like really terrible to like Mm -hmm. you know journalist colleagues that being said she's demonized at a level that i think is absurd like absurd and obscene you know this whole thing with the hairdresser like sure it was not wise for her to go to tel aviv in the middle of protests to get her hair done like she could have had someone come to jerusalem but that doesn't mean that they need to riot outside the hairdresser and trap her there for three hours yeah you know so anyway so you know i think you this now has two sons right and yair has grown up and become like very very pugilistic you know like his whole attitude is to fight back all the he's time a troll, yeah. he's yeah. a troll yeah. and he wants to fight fire with fire yeah. and then avner is more clearly like he's quieter and he doesn't want to be involved and i think that it's just interesting to see how different people react to similar circumstances isn't he autistic or am i making that up people have said that the family hasn't confirmed it and if he is then he's extremely high functioning I have no idea. I actually met him and talked to him once because, you know, I started as a reporter at age 23. Like, that's why I started reporting the cassette. And so people did not realize I was a reporter a lot of the time, and they assumed that I was, like, an aide working for some cassette member or whatever. And I would often be able to, like, like sit in a room that reporters aren't supposed to sing because people (laughs) know I am. So one time I went to, like, a young Likud campaign event. It was, like, in a nightclub and whatever, and Avner was there, and he was, like, 16 years old, and he had a kippah on because there was a time where he wore a kippah, and he was just, like, standing in the corner uncomfortable, and I, like, chatted with him a bit. And he's, like, the sweetest kid. Like, what they say about him is right, he's the sweetest kid. I have no idea, like, you know, autistic or not. Like, it's private, you know? (laughs) Any, any, yeah. It's amazing, but it's so easy to, to forget that, a lot of this really is individual psychology and if you're young and people are constantly not people but you just walk up on the streets and you see a piece of paper that says your father's a terrible person and your mother's a whole, even worse you you might believe some of that right or you're at least going to ask your dad hey dad and then your dad's never around to explain no like i think like I don't think they believe that. I think that they've taken it as, like, they need to fight and protect their family. Like, that's from the reaction I see. Because, like, even Avner, like, has written a few, like, Facebook posts or whatever. And, like, it's always very much, like, what they say about my family is wrong. Right. And so, like, clearly there's, like, some sort of need. There's a need. And I just, I can understand it from their perspective. Like, a need to be defensive. Yeah. Imagine knowing all that about your parents how they conducted themselves in all their business meetings with all their clients with all yeah yeah, yeah. you'll find out but even stuff. worse though because like there's all kinds of accusations of like Nisanyao cheated on Sarah and they have some kind of like contract right, and right, who knows right. if it's true or not I mean they recently Sarah was interviewed and she denied specifically denied that story that they have some sort of contract yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, but that's like you know like a mind fuck like for yeah. their kids also you everywhere you go in the country literally everyone knows who your parents are and have a strong opinion <laughs> yeah well informed or not and people feel you know that it's very trendy now everyone's talking about the nepo babies have you seen that no okay so new york magazine had an article it was a few weeks ago yeah it was their cover story about nepo babies like people who got things through nepotism and they drew this whole like map of hollywood and all these people who you didn't know that like actually have like you know an uncle who's a producer and blah 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 okay um so now everyone 
who has gained something through nepotism, their nickname is the Nepo Baby. That's the new internet slang. So anyway, so like also like imagine going through life and like anything you do or achieve, like people are just going to think that it's because of who your parents are. That That, also sucks. That is the rich kid syndrome, right? It doesn't matter what you do. It's always because you started miles ahead of everyone else. Yeah. you, You can never accomplish enough, which... Interestingly enough, he's he's taken to the other direction. Don't has done shit, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Avner, I think right. They they. It's interesting that they're very like opposite in how they respond to these things, from what I could tell. Right. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, like they grew up in the same house. But they're. All... I find that very. You know, we're talking about parenting. Like I also find that so interesting. You know, like presumably they're raised the same way, or anybody raises tries to raise their children the same way, and yeah. then they're different people. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how they've kind of become our unofficial monarchy, though. <laughs> you don't think? You... Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that there's going to be, like, a next generation. Who gives a shit if Sarah Netanyahu is getting her hair done? Well, yeah, I that's how I feel about it. Like, okay, let her but... get her hair done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is news. I mean, it's news yeah. because she got, you know... Right, but I don't think that... I don't think people would care that much about Yair and Avner if they weren't, like, if Yair wasn't so outspoken. Like, you would have news stories, like, when they get into the army, when they finish the army, when they got married, but it would, like, end at that. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, who they're dating, right? Like, what does anyone know about Yair Lapid's kids, you know? I didn't even know he had kids. Yeah, he does. I mean, and he has a daughter who's autistic, and he has a son who got married the day after we returned from the United States I think it was we had a trip to the US and and they were like we're gonna because with BB like a lot of times you end up spending you return like half a day later than you expected right. or whatever and they said like no we can't have any surprise meetings we have to stick to schedule because his son's wedding is right after we get Holy back shit. yeah so that I know but like nobody knows and Bennett nobody would know about Bennett's kids if not his son is like a TikTok star in Israel <laughs> Really? <laughs> That's the only thing I know about his kids. His son is like a TikTok guy. Yeah, Yoni Bennett. He's like the heartthrob of all the teenage girls. <laughs> what? Yeah. Man, you're... Like, you're... Bennett literally gets asked on interviews, like, about his son. No way. Yeah. Is he, is he a good-looking kid? He is. And I think he's, like, fi- I've seen, like, a few things. Like, I don't have TikTok. I'm not really in that. But, like, I've seen... He seems like a funny guy. Okay. Yeah. So he's good-looking and charming, and he comes from that family. Yeah. Okay, so he's a golden boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Now, look, we'll be all right. This country will be all right. It's it's so... Crisis is like a... It's just a way of life in this place, no? Yes. And I think it just Which is... A- that's also why it took me a while to, like, realize, like, almost to, like, really realize what's going on in that sense. Because, like, there's always a protest. <laughs> but I think it really just... It, Comes it back ballooned in the yeah. But it comes back to that central tension of Jewish and like even our even on our daily lives, like there's just everything is being crammed into our existence of both the Judaism and modern life. Yeah. And we just have no time to breathe because we're trying to maintain both at the same time. I think. No, don't I don't I don't know, I don't I don't find it stressful. I find it just like my life, you know, like I Right. So you've you've find a way to cope with it but for me it's like like i guess if i didn't keep shabbat like i would have more like free time like i'd be able to go on trips with my kids but instead of going on trips with my kids i'm having shabbat dinner with them you know shabbat lunch with them 
Mm. And and the world's okay. So I go on. We go on trips at other times. When do probably you go on not trips? as much as other people. But yeah. first of all, like there's still little enough that like they can miss a day. You know, they can miss Friday okay. if we want to go somewhere or do something. And then yeah. you know we go on vacation sometimes. But it's true traveling like inside Israel when it's not like a specific like special day off. Yeah. It's not easy. But it's it, you know we have other things. It's still a family day. Yeah. But, I mean, again, coming from where we come from in the U.S., where there's a two-day weekend. Yeah, I mean, days, obviously, it would be great to have Sundays. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Fucking Jews. <laughs> <laughs> and also the kids that they're they're in, in school six days a week. It's, that's, like, a lot. Yeah. 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 And But they're in school six days a week. It's five and a half. So the parents yeah. get a break on Friday. <laughs> right. But then I think to myself, well, what did parents do on the weekend? What do parents do on the weekend in America? Like, you don't have that half a day break. I mean, maybe, like, you put your kid in some sort of sports or something. But What do you mean? Like, why do the kids have school on Friday morning so that the parents have a break on Friday yeah. morning? Right? And we have Friday and Saturday off. In America, people have Saturday and Sunday off. There's no school on Saturday or Sunday. How did they get that break for their kids during their time off? I don't know. They go hang out with the friends. And... Right. No? So, like, we could do that, too, in Israel. They don't have to have oh, six days. Only for one day, right? Well, for me, it's one day. But for you, don't you drive or do whatever? Like, what do you do on a Saturday? I spend time with my family. Basically. Right. Right. But... I don't think it's that different. All right, fine. You win that one. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I was thinking, like, okay, like, when I was growing up, like, I sometimes had, like, activities on a Sunday, right? right? It's That's not like I mean, school. Yeah. You know, it's not like, uh, it's like an yeah. hour at soccer practice or whatever. It's not what it was for me because I never did any sports, but <laughs> for no, other no, people. Now I remember. There, there, was a, there was a JCC. That's what it was called, right? Yeah, the so JCC. So community center, you drop those kids off for like a whole day so literally that's kids can do that right they yeah can, they can play for eight hours straight i mean and for me from age like 10 this is very new jersey i think like i would just go to the mall on sunday with my friends and i would be there from like 10 until it closed like yeah. we would just hang out at the mall it is fucking lame <laughs> i know <laughs> but that's what that's what all the girls i knew did like that's what, unless there was like some sort of special thing going on like we would just go to the mall usually we'd go to a movie at some point during oh. that long day but we would eat in the food court. We'd buy cold. like milkshakes and we'd hang out at the mall. It's, yeah, it's cold. It's cold. It's cold. Yeah. yeah. In Miami, it's, it's great. Right. And then really hot. I lived by the beach in the summer. I lived by the Jersey Shore. So at least we had that a couple months of the year. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this was fun. I'm glad we did this. All right. Um, I'm glad you had your third kids and uh, you had time to hang out with me. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right.